are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is... He's not out. He's working. He's busy. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and us discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we have to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. But this is our fun commentary track for the month of May 2020. So with the lack of any new summer movies as of now, and no, especially no summer kickoff film, uh, we figured... Well, let's talk about a previous summer kickoff film that I think we all are fairly fond of, and we decided on The Mummy. 1999's The Mummy from director Stephen Sommers, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Stephen Sommers' The Mummy, and uh, yeah, we're just going to have a fun time doing that. So joining me for this commentary crack, we have, from Wise the Blue and the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast, he's unwisely read from the Book of the Dead, it's Brandon Peters. Hello. Also joining us from the Milky Way Blues, looks to me like he's got all the horses, it's Andy C. Burns. Hey, welcome to me. I don't know what that means. Hey, guys. <laughs> also joining us from Forbes, unlike Imhotep, he's not afraid of cats. It's Scott Mendelson. Greetings. I'm on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> How are you guys doing this evening? I'm doing terrific. Hanging in there. Sure, good. Well, good. Glad to hear that. Um, that's So, yeah, we're going to talk about The Mummy. We're going to have some fun doing it. And if you plan to follow along, just know that we currently have the film paused at five seconds in. So on the sound of go, we're all going to press play and start watching the movie. And if you plan to watch along, that, all you have to do is set it up there and uh, just press play when you start going. Anyone else, you're just listening in, you're, you're good. Just do what you're doing and enjoy what we have to say about the third Stephen Sommers commentary track that we've done that somehow wasn't The Mummy already. <laughs> so that's, that's... Hi, some heads. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, we did Deep Rising and G.I. Joe, colon, The Rise of Cobra, of course. So now we can finally do his best-known movie. So with all that, you guys ready? Oh, ready yep. as ever. All right. Yep. Well, let's do this. Three, two, one, go. Dun, dun, dun. So this dun, is the... Dun. This this is the logo this that came with. This was still relatively new at this point. This logo, this right? This was from yeah. I think like Lost World, right? Lost World was the three Lost years, World. Three was mm-hmm. case. This is only a couple. Of, yeah, this is a few years later. It still had majesty when you saw it in the, in the theater. I like these ones, but also this is when Universal's like, I'm not sure if this is the first. I don't think it's the first one, but they've been they were doing like logos. No, because Water World was like one of the famous ones that did it. Water World, yeah, yeah they go into the yeah. Yeah. Um, Herman was doing that for a while too, and like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Well, I mean they. They just, like, faded it out, where this is, like, actually adjusting the logo, which I think is fun. I like studios that I like to have fun like that. And they all seem to nowadays, so it's all cool. This prologue is a lot yeah. of fun. This whole movie's a lot of fun. We're going to talk it a lot is. about this movie. But this prologue, it, it really gets you going. Like, you're... you're what, do we have, like, other, like, besides, like, other mummy movies from the past, was there other, like... I guess Stargate's the closest thing to, like, an, an ancient Egyptian-type thing that's, like, in with a big budget. Stargate. Spectrum. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be Stargate. I mean, this movie, I, I don't know, this movie was something that, you know, people wanted to see, but I don't think anybody had any expectation of being as good as it was or as fun or as many people would jump onto it. Like, it was, like, a quite a surprise, I would say. And here oh, we man. go, the uh, the villain from um, Hard Target, uh, Arnold <laughs> Arnold Vosloo. Arnold Vosloo? Uh, dark man himself. Vosloo, Vosloo the Uncanny, as my friend called him after this movie. It's a Karloff reference. Somebody will get it. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the the thing of this mummy, there was, I mean, Hammer had some mummy films uh, back in yes. the day. But these, this, the, this isn't a remake so much of, you know, the original, the Karloff 
mummy as it is more in tone with the sequels to Karloff's mummy For sure. as those were yeah. those were more the adventure films the ones that inform like your indiana jones film and then it comes back around to where you have a mummy film that is in those vein and with a little bit of that indiana jones flair like, on top of it and like older i mean I'm sure Summers has plenty of reference something like Gunga Din. Gunga Din, yeah, 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 yeah. And like like um, Errol Morris films in general. Like there's uh, not Errol Morris, sorry, Errol Flynn. Errol Morris. Errol Flynn. <laughs> yeah, the Fog of War is Errol Morris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gunga Din, Gunga Din, which in the Indiana Jones world is canon. <laughs> actually. Yeah, it is right. Funny enough, yeah, that's kind of awesome. So, what yeah. I like about this prologue stuff is that it's. They, they keep this all in mind for the next one, which I really enjoy. I like that, like, all these people yeah. come back and play a mm-hmm. major role in the sequel. This is a film that doesn't forget, like, this stuff that, like, makes up the origin story. Right. Right. Also, I like this that... It's funny. Can... This... Yeah? Sorry. But, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say, I like that you could... All of this has narration from Odin Fair, but you could play all this silent, and it'd be very easy and pretty mm-hmm. evocative, actually, if you just, like, had all these people yeah. just doing this stuff. Right. I would say... This the... is rather... This... This sequence is right out of the original Mummy. There's a scene in the original Mummy where Imhotep and Anaksunu... Uh, in this one, she's Anaksuna Moon. In that one, she was Anaksunamun, but it's the same idea. This That scene is in there where we see him getting punished for, you know, having a thing with the whoever Anaksuna Moon is. But what's interesting to me about this movie, as I was thinking about it today, I, think it's, I don't think it's the greatest movie. I think it's a solid three-star movie but what's interesting is that it's pretty audacious in 1999 to say we're going to remake this 1933 movie that everyone's heard of but no one really has seen or is really talking about we're going to remake it but we're not going to really pay any attention to it being a remake of that it's basically going to be a remake or a new indiana jones movie when everybody was dying for there to actually be another indiana jones movie this is what they got instead but it's a strange it's a really striking example of what now would be considered like franchise reimagining because now i mean unless things are going to change back. The Tom Cruise mummy proved that a mummy is now sexy. The mummy has to be sexy in a mummy movie. And Boris Karloff was never sexy, and neither was Lon Chaney Jr. or uh, whoever played him in the, in those in those mummy sequels. In every mummy movie before this, the mummy was a lumbering thing with one hand stretched out that would choke you to death in the swamp or something. And in this, it's basically, he's that for a little while, and then he's like this sort of sexy, uh, I don't know what he's like, a mag- sexy magician character. Well, but now the, that's what the mummy the, is. It's more in the sequel, uh, Arnold Vosloo, like, immediately becomes Arnold Vosloo, where, like, this this first one, he's mummying it up, like, for a good yeah. portion of the movie. Yeah, but I'm still saying that he's, they, 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 he, he's supposed to be sort of, I guess they sort of do a Bram Stoker's Dracula a little bit, and that oh, he's yeah, sort that, of seductive that, and sexy, and in that he's longing, for, but that's actually, that's actually also from the, I mean, well, the, the Karloff version is like this weird art. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a great movie. It's like a, but it's like a weird tone poem about well, sex and he, death. It's very and creepy and slow. Karloff's was more of a, is he a person? Is he a, like, cause he had this weird, like his face had a lot of good makeup work on it to make you look like, hey, is he old? Is he too old? Is he That's young? a good like, point you're making. Yeah. He's only a mummy mummy in the first five minutes of the Karloff right. one, right? He's right. For the rest of the time. He's a not sexy Imhotep guy. But in right. those sequels you were thinking about, which, which yeah, is so, that's, which, that's basically yeah, the mummy is, is just stalking around because someone has burned the tannis leaves and so he's right. alive again. And yeah, the original so this was a major, mummy movie about could this be, thing. yeah. It's just, yeah, I, I remember we're first hearing about this thing. Well, that's that's quite an interesting endeavor. I don't understand how they're going to do a mummy movie that looks like it's not really the mummy, but it obviously paid off. 
mm-hmm. because expectations for what a mummy movie had to be had sort of faded. I think it was yeah. Scooby Doo basically. The mummy was something from Scooby Doo that was sort of silly, you know. Well, well it's, uh, fun, it's funny we've we've talked about this with the other like the other uh, monster movies we've talked about on this podcast because we, we've talked about um, uh, both Dracula and Interview with the Vampire as far as the '90s doing this kind of adult oriented. Oh, did I miss Dracula? You were on Interview with the Vampire. You weren't on Dracula. We did Dracula. Like, Damn it. Dracula was one of my absolute favorites. We did that in 2017. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, we were talking about that a lot with the, those 90s films where they were doing, you know, like Wolf and uh, Mary Riley. Um, and like, yeah. the, uh, the movie where they're just... Mary they're, Shelley's Frankenstein. Exactly. Yeah. They're all playing to, like, an adult crowd and they have a certain <laughs> kind of viewpoint on it where this is a movie that, like, really wanted to bring it back to, like, blockbuster fun. And... You know, there's not even bring it back. Take it forward. That's not what the mummy ever was. This no, is what, Indiana Jones. I movie. mean, take it back as far as take it away from this kind of thing and put it towards something else. And it's fitting because like Peter Jackson, he wanted to do it first, right? He wanted to make King Kong like this. Like he wanted, he wanted to do right. something very specific to like an Indiana Jones type thing, but with King Kong, make a big old grand adventure. But then like between the frighteners failing and the fact that this movie was being made. Along with, I think Mighty Joe Young was a factor too. Like it all just kind of, you know, pushed him away for a while, and then he was never heard from again. Obviously. Yes. Right. Let him remember that. I will. I will. I will, uh, I will boohoo this movie uh, as it uh, replaced uh, the King Kong ride at Universal Studios with uh, Mummy Ride of this. For... Oh, that's true. Uh, in many exactly. ways, this film was not the first, but maybe the first successful version of basically taking a property that wasn't necessarily a conventional action-adventure picture and making it into a blockbuster action-adventure picture. Uh, one of the first one of the first was, in my opinion, you know, The Salts of the Santa Claus the Movie from 1985, which is basically wow. a remake of their Superman film. Um, yeah. And obviously that was a, an infamous flop. It's not very good. Um, but this obviously was a giant blockbuster. Um I, I think it was expected to do well just because it was a summer kickoff film. It was still a time when films on this scale were special. Cool it down in the background back there where it was moving around. Yeah, that's not me, is it? Sorry, you guys. It's just muted. Um, and also, to a certain extent, you know, the extent that people were very, very excited for The Phantom Menace, right. this was an appetizer. Yeah. Um, and then it was also good. And, you know, ironically enough, you had the appetizer for Star Wars that played like a very good Indiana Jones picture. Um, And then the film itself, because, not to get ahead of myself, was so rooted in character and, you know, quirky actors having fun with quirky characters that that became the film's selling point. And I remember when the sequel, the, the trailer for the sequel the you know most of the the tease was look at all these people that came back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know all your friends are back again you know starring you know it wasn't just you know Brendan Fraser yeah. and The Rock it was Brendan Fraser Odette Fair Richard John Watts. Hanna and yeah, John, and, yeah. and of course <laughs> yeah. because we saw and, and of course because we saw the trailer all the time before the movie came out yeah. and The Rock as the Scorpion King yep. yeah. <laughs> um, and we've got really... that spinoff that has had more sequels than the Mummy series itself yes um and it struck me, you know, watching that teaser for the first time in front of uh, – it wasn't in front of the Grinch. It was supposed to be in front of the Grinch, but they pulled it because they were afraid it would be too scary. Um, but the idea that they're like, okay, they know they know what they're doing here. They know that people like this movie because they like the characters. Ironically, the people making the Dark Universe mummy did not realize that, but that's 
a slight digression. Well, they tried to force um, it, too. They're like, eh, Tom Cruise, everyone yeah. likes Tom Cruise, and we'll throw him with somebody funny. Jake Johnson, that works. And then they have no chemistry in the movie together, and it's just, like, not fun um, to watch them palling around. And the film is very – I even noticed this, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. It's very old-fashioned in that it, it – you know, not to be a scold, it's politically incorrect in a number of ways. It is a bunch of dashing, heroic European people shooting and killing and, you know, hunt, you know being attacked by various, you know, dark-suited Arab people. Yes, they reveal themselves as sort of the good guys halfway through the picture, but there is a certain old school adventure sensibility that yeah, I mean, people were aware of this when the movie came out. It did get similar to Phantom Menace, I think, right? but much less because it's a small, you know, wasn't as big of a deal, much less than Phantom Menace, but the same kind of. Well, I think the, uh, the, the sort of the guy that comes along with them and gets eaten by the scarab, that's a pretty outrageous sort of yeah. 1940s bit of racial stereotyping. I, yeah. I think that goes way I beyond like, You're right. Like the Phantom Menace, you got in a little bit of trouble for... It didn't at the time, I don't think. No, no, films it's referencing. Well, I mean, it goes, if anything, as far as execution, yeah. though, right? Because you can you can lay yes. a number of things on this movie. You have damsels in distress. You have yes. exotic characters being automatically evil. You have the white guy saving the day. Like, there's all kinds of tropes you can throw on this, yeah. which, again... The movie is designed to be a throwback of sorts as well as having right. modern sensibilities. But what, what it comes down to is that you have good actors giving good performances and you have a lot of wit going on in the script as well. There's a lot of cleverness in the dialogue and in the writing of the movie that I think overrides a lot of the things that you can scold it for. Or Phantom Menace yeah. gets trapped with, regardless of how much you like Phantom Menace, and I like it, I know Nancy, Nancy, you really like it, I think what that movie gets trapped in is that it doesn't compensate for the things that work really well with great dialogue in that movie or, or like just yeah. a sensibility that a sensibility that like that everyone seems to get behind. If everyone got behind it, people wouldn't be trashing it the way they do. That I, I disagree. I would say it has everything to do with expectations. Nobody expected that. That certainly this. plays a huge the role. That, but I, the, the fact that they got hold on, the fact that they got a good buzz from this, they, they didn't hold anything against it. If you surprise someone to give them a good time and they had everything writing on it like this, they're not going to complain about racial stereotyping or, or kind of stupid uh, familiar character beats. The Phantom Menace was being scrutinized. People were waiting for it and waiting for it. I think that this I think that's what I think it, this movie. Well, but this movie is this. It got some terrible reviews for being sort of fake Indiana Jones. I, I would say this movie is consistently we're entering or in, with this movie we enter an era where where being consistently pretty good is much more rewarding than being mostly great and occasionally embarrassing like the Phantom Menace. For me, this never comes anywhere close to being a, an artistic vision like the Phantom Menace. But I can see why audiences responded. Or, or I guess responded more positively to this because there was nothing writing on it for them. It was out of the blue and it's consistent. There's no one thing that stands out as like this element really doesn't work. I think, but I think it's it's lowered expectations that give the, this a pass. I don't think it's in any way superior work than the Phantom Menace. It's just it was just more popular because it's kind of a, just a good time at the movies. I do have a comment and a and a question regarding because I'm I'm it's honestly for me. Um, but we were talking about the, you know, evil Egyptian man, bad, scary thing. But like in this throwback in the early 1900s, Egypt, who are else are they going to run out into when doing this? Like, oh, absolutely. A, like, no, a, I, I like, agree with you. That, that's your and I think they honestly put a big, a nice spin on them. What's the actor's name? Because people really liked him out of this. Um, oh, dead fair. Oh, dead fair. Oh, dead fair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Res like, Resident Evil Apocalypse and Extinctions. Oh, dead fair. 
Right, yes. but Deuce, he came Deuce off Piccolo really good on this. Loaded, fair. Yeah, and I, sure, I just, but the guy we're talking about is pretty. It's pretty. I mean, it works in the context of the movie, and I think Kevin J. O'Connor. It, it's never identified, but he's playing some kind of a. He's playing some kind of a slightly dark face. He's playing a Middle Eastern character. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. Again, that's something so, that got nipped back then. Would have gotten just, you know, destroyed today, right. but whatever. Real, yeah. I also like. Real, what real, I like real, about real, 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 hold on, real quick. This scene that right that we're watching right now, where she knocks yes. over the entire library, done in one take <laughs> yes. because they had to get it right and they did it. Did for real, one take. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> to point that out. Um, what I like about her, and this this did kind of stand out even back then, was that. It was a not a well, yeah, a little unusual in that she was a quote unquote strong female lead that wasn't afraid to be somewhat klutzy and feminine and 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 lusty. I mean, there was a certain you got to be one or the other. You have to be a hapless damsel in distress, or you have to be you know a sexless badass warrior. I don't know. What about like romantic? She's having fun, sort of. The character. Well, that was fifteen years ago. What are the limitations here, Scott? I mean, of course, of course, they, you know, you know, they have her fall for Brendan Fraser, but it's kind of the way she does and the kind of reaction her brother has to it as if this isn't her typical guy she goes after or something like it it just it's a typical thing. It's stereotype that you could knock, but it's the way they they handle it that makes it work so well and not not be a problem. you know, Summers is good at that. He knows to just sort of, of give characters enough yeah. stuff and sort of set them spinning, you know? Um, it does work in Rise of the Stone. It does not work in Jurassic World. I mean, I, I like the no, film. No, it does not. I think We're that's the trying yes. that same concept and not doing it as well. Didn't work in Alan Quarterman. It's got to be about either. that. Romancing the Stone is very much about that, right? Yes. It's about the idea. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's you have in to the title. It's called Romancing the Stone. Well, sure, but that's certainly an early Indiana Jones-inspired movie, I think. The script was probably around before that, but I was yeah. trying to think, what, what's an earlier sort of Indiana Jones uh, ripoff? Oh, yeah, there, I mean, that's... Uh, Alan Quartermain. <laughs> yeah, that's blatant. That, I mean, <laughs> yo, you, you asked for a ripoff. That's <laughs> true, you got me there. <laughs> but the even, Treasure even, of the Four Crowns. But and, even Romancing the Stunt, it was done as like, a, we can make this like this, except add a screwball comedy element to it. Like, that was what they're going for. But they just, you know, they, it justified any, no one could possibly criticize it for being old-fashioned. Sure. And that they get together, because it feels examined. You that's know? a good scare, by the way. I like that one where John Hanna pops up yeah. with a skeleton. <laughs> that's a good moment. And John Hanna's also great in this movie. Yeah, I, I, I off before weddings and a funeral, right? He's that was his big uh, yeah movie a, before yeah, this. Yeah, it's a few years. It's a few, this is him against type because he does a lot of he did a lot of TV and he plays basically not this character. He he plays like more of a I don't know a cat. Like and here he's yeah. In four weddings and a funeral, he's a, he's described as silent but deadly attractive. As anybody remembers, yeah. he's supposed to be like a like a like a, like a heartbreaker in that one. It's yeah, funny because he's so and yeah. so is Kevin J. O, and Kevin J O'Connor is in Peggy who got married is the absolute dreamboat of her high school that when she goes back in time, she sleeps with him to fulfill this fantasy. And now he's playing these weaselly characters. Yeah, once he got with Steven Sommers, he plays it over and over again because he does that in Deep Rising. It's that just year, funny, he my he... man. He was like, yeah. I remember thinking, who is this jerk? He's this handsome dude mm-hmm. in Peggy who got married. And he's, then it's he's, like, he's just he's, he's uh, toothy he's, sort of. He's Igor and Van Helsing. Like, he, he gets right yeah. He's the. He's, I get tremendous affection. He's a good. He's a good. He's perfect for these movies. He's the, he's the hilarious and nonstop joke machine brother, and there will be blood. Like it's you know. He's a good actor, which is who is why he in GI Joe? I'm sure he's broad. in GI Joe. Who is he in GI Joe? Very briefly in GI Joe, but well, they got Vosloo in there. I know that. I remember that. 
Well, he's basically doing a Dwight Fry Renfield sort of thing in this. Yeah. Sort of sniveling at the all-time great sniveler. Here's a here's a question. Uh, is there a movie where the Benny character is the lead? Oh. Or like the guy. The brother guy. of the girlfriend of the hero. No, not no. Not, not, Benny not the, no, Benny. What? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Stranger Jides. I guess yeah. so, right? Yeah. That's yeah. The, yeah. And I just we watched watched that recently, so yeah, I'm putting, yeah, putting, putting Jack Sparrow in there is the yeah that makes sense. I guess that'd be a good example. Uh, and that's why they don't generally do that. Benny is a uh, hero. I was just thinking about that today. That's why I was thinking about this com- doing this commentary track. Is there a movie where there's like the snivelly guy that's not the because I was like, well, it's not Jack Burt. The Lost like, World. Yeah, I guess, I guess it will be Jack Burt if, if, if he didn't look like Kurt Russell. Yeah, that's what it would the be. Difference. Jack Burt. Yeah. Yeah. The Lost World. Yeah, yeah, Brandon, you're saying The Lost World. That I can see that making a level of sense too. Like Jeff Goldblum suddenly becomes the heroic. It's just they they change the character, right? Yeah, they changed oh, the whole world of the movie. Yeah. I like uh, I like Jonathan Hyde's. Not Jonathan Hyde. What's this guy's name? But John Hyde's later. This guy is kind of you know, like watching it after the fact. You're like, he, you know what he's doing now. You know, he doesn't want any of this to happen. He burns the map on purpose, but he has to like fake it. This is sort of a proto Joe Johnston movie in a lot of ways, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I, yes. Uh, yeah. These two are practically interchangeable, I think, as far as. The yeah, they are in terms of be. being the B team, the best guys who can sort of do the Spielberg thing without quite you know it's unpretentious completely it's sort of successful without like they get the right it's a, they get the right tone is what it is this movie like it, has the right tone if oh, they yeah. were if they were as ambitious they'd be right there of like zemeckis as far as what they're doing but zemeckis has right there there are right below zemeckis mm-hmm. right but they're way better than there's another level below them that aren't as like the simon wests of the world and that whole they're less to me they're less um i have less affection for them because i can tell that Steven Summers has seen a lot of the same movies I have and loves the same movies before I even saw them, I'm sure. But well, it comes down to like a discernible thing. It's like what makes these movies. I mean, you, I think you can tell Steven Summers movies specifically. You can tell what his movies are, what his sensibilities are, because they're they're like friendlier Michael Bay movies, essentially. Yes. Um, they're movies where you it, appreciate the things going right. on. They, they're bought there. They can be big and bombastic, but you also appreciate the characters on screen because they're generally cast pretty well. Michael Bay cast pretty well. Hey, Michael Bay cast. Could Michael never Bay be a sweet character like Rachel Vice and a Michael Bay. Movie. I'm saying I think that, I'm, much more. That's what I'm saying though. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that exact thing. That his, they're nicer movies. They're, they're they're and they have these casts that kind of lend themselves to this jovial quality more than a Michael Bay movie where it's like, yeah, you get some friend you get some actors that are fit for the screen because you have Jerry Bruckheimer who can do that for you or whatever, but like at the end of the day it's still about the bombast. I've gotta ask, just because I'll forget, what what why is Gunga Din now canon for Indiana Jones you mentioned earlier? During Somebody the mentioned? scene they, they talk about it, the events of the movie, I believe. Really? Yeah. Temple of Doom. Yeah, Temple they of they Doom. talk about the it. opening scene? No, the, no, no, the, no, no, the, the dinner in the, the monkey the, brains. The, oh, I yeah, monkey you, brains. Then I am sorry. Yeah. I see. That's right. Yeah. The thug, because the thuggies are gonna get in. That's right. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. That's a, Temple of Doom is a movie like this too. That it does a lot of things that you would, and I love Temple of Doom. It does a lot of things that you might think would be offensive on the page, but it gets away with it because of the momentum and the sense of I don't know what, whatever the land that Spielberg brings to it. But that's got the, the ultimate sort of screaming. Um, out of fashion 
woman character in it, but I, mean, that's I what, think that's she looks well. That's what the criticism comes. In. I don't share it personally, but I mean that's where it comes. Right? Yes, yeah. yeah. You think she because she, she, she's a she's a good version of that. She's kick up side as well in that, and and it's a nice contrast with Marion, who we've already seen him with in yes Raiders. Here's a question: Who's the lead of this movie? Fraser. I think it's a twofer. Yeah, it's Fraser. I mean, he's the. He's the yeah. he's, he's the hero. I, yeah. But is he the, is he the lead? Is the, does the plot move move because of him? He's oh, got a bit of Jack Burton to him too, doesn't he? Dream that's Fraser. why I'm asking because it, isn't it secretly kind of Evie's movie? Yeah, and her and her brother is yeah, kind of a dual thing. Yeah. Well, she discovers the map. She's the brains for one and he's thing, the brawn. Right. She discovers the map. brains and brawn. Yeah. He knows where the city is, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but he's a mean. And that's why it works, too. That's why this that's why this romance works, too, is that he's very much a piece of meat to her sort of intellectual character. It it, it comes off and that objectifies him a little bit in a good way. This scene, uh, Brendan Fraser nearly died. Uh, because he was. I remember being, in the theater, just I couldn't take this. So it was because so hard to it's watch. very real. Because it basically is real. It's like the real. rig, the rig that they had was, it was effective enough to you know not kill him, but he almost died in this scene. He had to be he had to be resuscitated after they like got him down from here. Now what is he coming off of in '99? George of the Georgia Jungle the Jungle. or something? George of the Jungle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's why he it, exactly. It's why he was hired. Because that yeah. movie, because that movie is wonderfully subversive. It, yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 like watching, you know, hearing that you're going to make a movie about George of the Jungle and watching a movie about George of the Jungle is entirely different because that movie has so much going on for a Disney adaptation of George of the Jungle where it's funny and in on the joke and very meta. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a yeah. masterpiece, but it's much better than it needs to be. Yes. I just saw it for the first time recently. Thanks for Disney. Thanks to Disney Plus. It's a yeah, not bad at all. Pretty funny. It's very good. Yeah. Who's is John Cleese? Is he the uh, world's not enough? John Cleese, the, the, uh, yeah, the gorilla the in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those dad characters I told you he played. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and it's also the right tone of of making fun of and respecting your source material, kind of like Superman the movie almost. We just couldn't do today. You'd have to be so much more respectful of. <laughs> The tone of the original George of the Jungle cartoon. I mean, it's, it really, it's like PG Deadpool, essentially. Like, that's what the movie kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I remember seeing that one in, what, Summer 97? And for that kind of movie, pitched at that four-quadrant audience, huh. it was one of the first times that I had seen just sort of unapologetic female gaze, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, even you know something like the James Bond films, where you know James Bond's hot, but the focus is on the women. Um, right. But this was one where, yeah, you have Brendan Fraser shirtless or almost shirtless, you know, running against a horse while Leslie Mann basically creams herself. Um, yeah. I guess um, Gods and Monsters is the other thing he's coming off of, right? I'm yeah. Sure. Terrific. Yeah, that's a great. That's a terrific movie. Yeah. And Blast from the Past, of course, the same year as this. Yeah. So he's yeah, already yeah. proven his comedy show. Well, he was funny in Encino Man. Oh, and he did Dudley Do Right the same year too, which was like the bad version of. Yeah. It's like yes. what you didn't want to see in George of the Jungle. It's, <laughs> it's what you was expected. Was it J Ward properties? Is that what those are? Yeah. Yeah, yeah J Ward. Yeah. I remember like seeing the trailer, like, well, that could be funny, and then like, nope, that that was not. <laughs> that was not a good idea. Alfred Molina is the bad guy. Molina Snidely, Snidely Whiplash. Snidely Whiplash. Which yeah. is good. It's ideal that's casting. Right. Like that's that's good casting. <laughs> but he found his groove. He got cocky with George of the Jungle. 
I always like how this, this is a this, great. This, this is a very Spielberg-ish set piece. They build this mm-hmm. giant boat set and then get it all wet, and it reminds me of the opening scene of Last Crusade. For sure. I like that this set of American explorers, like they're nobody in particular. Like there's no like breakout yeah. star from this group of people. It's just like de facto Americans that you needed for this movie. And I think in a skewed way that worked as retroactive defense against some of the charges of stereotyping as well. Yeah. The Americans were awful too. Mm-hmm. Um, and get killed. Yes. <laughs> all, of them, all of them get killed. Um, two things. First of all, one thing I really appreciated about this movie that surprised me even in 1999 is that they wait an hour before the mummy shows up. Oh yeah, this is a patient mm-hmm. film. Yeah. yeah, this is a very and really, it's not until the, the final 20 minutes or so that the special effects go crazy. Which is, uh, that's good for Summers. Like my biggest era already. My biggest issue with Summers is that, yeah, his third acts go insane with their visual effects because he got bigger yeah. and bigger budgets. That's the problem with Van Helsing. It's the problem with G.I. Joe. Although G.I. Joe yeah. has its own redeeming elements, but it's still like, <laughs> it, once it goes there, it doesn't stop going there. Even yeah. in the sequel to this movie, right away, and I like the sequel, but like even right, right away, it's, you know, like I said, Arnold Vosley becomes Arnold Vosley pretty quickly because they get mm-hmm. it's so easy for them to just like get the stuff going. They can just repeat a lot of these things that happen quicker and faster and bigger. And you know, I would say the middle hour of this film is a horror film, horror movie. Oh, more it is. Or less. This is the most the whole like, movie. Yeah. Yeah. When they get to, I guess, the part of Egypt they're going for, it's the most like the Karloff. They, like they they got yeah. a lot of. There's a lot of references they're going for. Like I remember watching it after we watched the Tom Cruise Mummy, or was it before? It was. I think it was after. It was after, and I was like, oh, okay. There's a lot of recognizable elements that they're clearly going for in the in these movies. Obviously not one for one, but you can see the they did their homework compared to other people apparently. Um, and also, you know, for better or worse, and this was sort of a sign of the times. This was one of the more violent PG-13 movies I had ever seen in a theater at that point. Is it? Uh, the only reason, in, ter- in terms of body count, in terms of you know horrific death, blah, 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 you know, they even says in the commentary track, you know, they, the only reason they got away with this, there was almost no blood whatsoever. That's the, that's the thing. And I, a I lot mean, of sand, no blood. This yeah. was, I mean, this a was my... This was my birthday movie that this came out. Yeah. This was, this was, I had my bar mitzvah like the day before I saw this movie. <laughs> like, um, uh, and I, I, went, I, I went right after school to go see this opening night. Like I just, me and a friend got out of school. We were just like, let's go see the mummy. But it, it, for me, it comes down to like tone. Like this is the same year as Sleepy Hollow. And I think what both of these movies share is this kind of adventure quality where I don't think yes. of it as violent necessarily. I think of it it's as a great double feature. It, think it, about it, it, it is yeah, a great double Hollow feature. Is very violent. <laughs> It is very, it, oh, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is very bloody. violent. It's very gory. It's very much an R-rated movie. But like in terms of yeah. how it's handled, I think it's very similar to this, where yeah, it's, it's that cool. it's that pacing and the entertainment factor, what they're trying to do with that, that you know gives me more of a sense of the vi- of how violent it really is versus what I'm seeing on screen. Yeah, and obvi- obviously, yeah, showmanship. Like showmanship is a big thing, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, as we were starting to see the slow birth of what I call, you know, I and others call the R13. You know, this was certainly there with, you know, Anaconda and Rush Hour uh, as films that mm, were certainly flirting with being R-rated in terms of content, but were constructed in a way to sort of sneak by with the PG-13 before that was what, what everybody did. See, Rush right. Hour seems, that seems more violent to me. Like, that's yeah. like people are getting shot and blown up yes. and all kinds, of, like, that seems like a violent Jackie Chan movie with Chris Tucker, like, even though it's a, yeah. ostensibly a buddy comedy. That's yeah. a fun little, 
I, it's well, like easy mirror trick, but it's still fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rush Hour. So, I mean, you could watch that and and uh, think you're watching an R-rated movie. Yeah, honestly, and not even. Oh yeah, this is PG-13. And I, I mean, think. it's like Brett Ratner coming off of Money Talks, which is very R-rated. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Um... People get blown up to bits in that movie. <laughs> like it's it's, rough. it's the only person Chris Tucker likes to work with. Mm-hmm. Brett Ratner. That's, that's yeah. it. It's his guy. I like Money Talks quite a bit. It's, it's, it's a weird movie when you look at it. I don't think I've ever seen it, to be honest. Me neither. It, 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 I like it. as a. I think it's Ratner doing what he knows how to do very well in that movie. And it's very much a Chris Tucker movie. It tries to advertise it as Chris yeah. Tucker and Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen's not in it that much. Like It's really just a Chris Tucker movie. <laughs> Which we didn't get enough of. I like Chris Tucker. Anyway. I do too, yeah. He... <laughs> but you're right, in terms of tone, it's a very gee whiz adventure picture. Uh, yeah. Which, honestly, that's, you know, even though it, it, you know, I'm about to talk about a different movie here, but it's the Demolition Man, which is an incredibly violent R-rated picture, but also, I feel, has a certain weird gee whiz tone. Oh, yeah, it's like, it's was, like, can you believe this stuff is happening in yeah. the future? I like this a lot, where it's not, bullets listen, are going <laughs> by his head. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> Yeah. He's just he just I mean his reactions I mean this is a stellar performance from Fraser. This this utilizes him in the most perfect way that no one else did. You know? <laughs> he's being funny while like brandishing two guns at the same time. It's like no there's few people that like make this cool and funny in like one breath <laughs> like he is right now in, in ninety nine. Well, the film makes a point to be entertaining beyond the pyrotechnics. Uh-huh. And that is so important and is often undervalued. That's why Zorro was amazing. Yep. Yes. <laughs> well, it, it's one thing that it's remembering about characters like a Han Solo that people don't remember about a Han Solo. They always think he's just that cool guy, but he was a buffoon too. Indiana yeah. Jones, also a buffoon. Like they make those movies make with their original creators make a point to show what a doofus they are too, as much as people think they're a badass and idolize them. There's a yep, goofiness sure. to them as well that's forgotten when it comes to some people. Well, I think it's very appealing when you have a screen hero that doesn't want to get into a fight. Um, yeah. And frankly, I think the Mission Impossible movies, as much as I, I like the first two, and I know most people like the third more than I do, whatever. But I think starting with four, we started seeing where it's like Ethan Hunt went from I'm the ultimate action hero too. Oh God, I don't want to climb that building. Yeah, that's what like Macquarie points out in his commentary. Yeah. It's like the trick to Ethan is he doesn't want to do these crazy things. Yeah, like that, that's how that it, that's how he goes. Protocol is it, that does everything. Yeah, he, he, you see where he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, it, you're it, right. Saved his career, right. I argue, making that transition. It humanizes him. You know, I always think of that as the James Garner character, the character who's dashing and handsome but smart <laughs> enough to try to avoid a fight, even if he seems sort of cowardly in doing so. We yeah. love him because he's so cagey about it. Robert Downey oh, yeah, like Jr., Jack Iron Man, is like that. Yeah, Jones. Um, yeah, Jones for sure is that. You know, he we love him because he he's sane and that he'll try to avoid fight. You know, shooting the shooting the side of the swordsman is a great gag yeah. in terms of that. It's it's an immoral moment that Hold you still up. cheer on because here's here's Benny's big know. moment. Looks to me like I got all the horses. Yes, <laughs> it's just good. funny. <laughs> he says you're on the wrong way. And yeah, you're not you're not wrong. Like, I mean, so much of this movie is them getting to the city where the mummy is to begin with. Like, there's a lot of this. 
But sometimes, I mean, fun. back then, and maybe it's just we we gotta cut faster now and get to the point, get to the point. But I enjoy the adventure, the ride. So much of today is getting to the end so quickly, or getting to these like like not enjoying the ride. Like that's part of a problem with television nowadays. It's a part like narrative. People can't stop and have a conversation, make the ride to get there enjoyable because. Where does um, that change? Like, like I, and, Agatha Christie always said, you know, the, the most boring part of the mystery is is arresting the culprit. You know, like that's when that's, when does that change? Because I'm like thinking of like movies of this time. When you and we talked about like The Matrix not too long ago. There's a, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about it on the commentary track for The Matrix, which is on iTunes, but like there, you know, forty <laughs> minutes of that, The Matrix Reloaded. Forty <laughs> minutes, forty minutes of that movie is the discovery of the Matrix, where you're in right. this gritty land mm-hmm. where there's no fights. And, you know, there's just a lot of intrigue and exposition before you finally get to the lobby shootout scene. Like, there's a lot of, like, just talking and hanging around in that movie. You enjoy being drawn in, and they reveal slowly, and and it's just, what is it? And part of the ad campaign was, what is the Matrix? So you're like, oh, they're, they're going to wait till the end of the movie tell me what this Matrix is? And... It's got to be somewhere in the two, like in between the two thousands, right? Because you still have things like Pirates of the Caribbean, which is two and a half hours, and there's only so many swashbuckling fights in that film. Or like, well, I think it's part of it is the computer technology gets better and it gets cheaper, cheaper, and so we're as Scott point has pointed out many years ago that we have these dialogue scenes and stuff because they couldn't afford to have big set piece to big set piece to big set piece. Now and so they'd have to really focus on making those character moments and the conversations means something count and be entertaining and the yep. difference the difference That's is having a, the difference <laughs> is having a good filmmaker that could really harness that like george miller doing mad max where it's like it is set right. piece to set piece but he's also a fucking phenomenal action director so it's like right. who cares well, just like the, the, the shaky stuff in green grass only like, he, he's one of the few can well that's the uh, that's the audacity of george miller is that he's so good that he can just do a chase movie for that's a movie that's something about a chase for two hours and it's great you shouldn't always be doing that no, i'm not saying george you need miller. to always yeah i'm not saying you need yeah to that's always what i'm saying yeah, yeah. But it's very rare that someone can pull that off and not be monotonous. But there's, cer- there's certainly these, a lot of people that there's certainly a lot of people that can think they do that. Bay is one of them, honestly, and I like. Sure, Bay is I a li- totally different discipline. Than as much as guy, I like Bay films for the most part, I have ones that I don't like. But I mean, as much as I enjoy him as an auteur, regardless of how good the film is, like he does have this like I need to up it every next scene. Like I like it needs to. That's why Bad Boys <laughs> Two is two and a half hours, and there's so much action in that movie. <laughs> And that's what's one. nuts to me is that the first The Rock, they don't get to Alcatraz till almost like an it, hour and a half. Yeah, like it's a long time before they get to The Rock. There's movie. a lot of movie before they you know a lot of its character work. I mean, they, Jason yeah, doesn't you get to Manhattan for a long time too. But you know, yeah, I mean, Jason's one of our comedy. Um, <laughs> this is another one where there's a, just a lot of movie here. Um, it helps that you have this vibrant back, you know, you have an exotic place that we don't see in movies very often as far as ancient Egypt. Unless it's a J.J. So Abrams Star Wars, and that's I all guess. I know is desert <laughs> planets. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm not, I'm not wrong. <laughs> You're right. I think at the time in 99, people would have already been complaining that this was too fast-paced, too much CG. But too now this looks like it belongs to an earlier tradition. Yeah. Well, I, I, as I said, even in, when I saw it 20 years ago, I was impressed by how patient and slow it was. Um, I don't know if the difference is people complaining about pacing now so much as scenes that exist only to further character get chalked up to being like plot holes. Right. 
Um, well, and I have to wonder whether an entire generation raised on, and this is no offense to these shows, but, you know, preschool shows like Dora the Explorer, where the characters sort of stop and explain all their actions as they're going about it, have sort of almost created a generation of young filmgoers that don't understand what's going on unless the characters stop and explain it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, which is obviously incredibly frustrating. But it's it's one thing when people are wondering, gee, why is that one scene in Fargo where she goes and talks to her old high school and she thinks right. it's an old high school Mike um, Mike and Yanagita, yeah, it's an yeah. extraneous scene, but it serves to it serves to further her character. And it kind of yeah. sort of deals with the plot. I mean, it's fine. But uh, if she didn't do that, she wouldn't know to go back to William H. Macy. Exactly. And question of well, it's an intentionally <laughs> extraneous scene that they can get away with because exactly. it's brother. Not not like my, it's a great my, scene in and of its own not, right. Not know? with my college roommate who always fought me about this scene not being necessary in the movie. And I'm like, it's <laughs> well, like, a great scene. Favorite, it's nec- it's necessary because it's great. That's why it's necessary. It's a great scene. Who cares if it's. You never complain about a good scene in a movie, you know? So my favorite scene in Seven is the conversation between Morgan Freeman and Gwyneth Paltrow in the restaurant. Now, yeah, does she? do we find out that she's pregnant, which pays off at the very end? Yeah, I guess so. But that would still pay off just the same if we didn't know until that moment. Because um, he doesn't know until that moment, so the shock would you know, be equal. Um, so as, as, as it's just it's purely a character scene. It is, because otherwise she has no character, and there's no impact yeah. when you discover that she's dead now, because yeah. you've, only, you've only had one scene, and it's her at dinner, and, like, okay, that's one scene. You could have two scenes, and then oh. you have a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, 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 you know I, don't, I don't want to turn this into boo-hoo idiots that write bad on the internet, but, you know, so many of the, this piece of art is problematic, you know, I read the stuff, and it's like, it's pure de- depiction equals endorsement garbage. Right, exactly. Uh, these uh, these characters riding on camels. John Han is the only one that mimics my experience riding camels. He hates camels. I hate camels. They're not fun to ride on. They spit. Really they're they're mean. In Israel. Interesting. That's an interesting experience. I've never done that. They're they're mean and they spit and they'll bite you if you don't look. And... <laughs> well, they probably don't like you much either. I tried to like them. There's one. There's one. There was one docile one because it was meant for taking pictures with. I have a good picture of a camel. But me riding camels, bad story. <laughs> anyway, Jonathan Hyde's here now too. He's having fun, right? And this guy, the um, the the guy that gets eaten by scarabs, whose name I never remember. What? Um, just had all this up. <laughs> Gad Hassan, that's the, this guy. Okay, Om, Omid Dajali. He's like a he's like a stand-up guy. Like that's like that's like his thing. And he came in this movie, and he appears in various things as Middle Eastern guy that says funny things. Well, he's working, so you know. That's a fun cut. <laughs> he just jumps in right there, and you get a wipe. We didn't do this. When did we all see that? I said when I saw it. I saw it oh. the day after my bar mitzvah. Scott, when did I'd you like see I'd like to flash movie? you back uh, earlier. I said I went after school. You went after school. Okay. Opening night after the Friday of my last high school play. And honestly, it was so late that I actually almost fell asleep in a couple spots. Um, I actually action? enjoyed this movie a lot more when I saw it on DVD a couple few months later. Uh-huh. Me too. Me too. Dislike it. 
but you know, obviously I wasn't, you know, energized as I perhaps should have been. I saw it twice, actually. I saw it um, at the uh, Cinema Grill when it went to that because the Cinema Grills didn't used to get them like opening weekend. They were like later on down the line. And someone I was like, oh, I'll go see the mummy again and have dinner. <laughs> I think I only saw it once in the. Th- I know Yancey didn't talk it, but I, I, I think I only saw it once in the theater. But like I, it didn't escape my mind, and I was very excited when it came out that I could like own this thing because it was like super fun. I know I, I know I rented it at least once. And I was in contrast to like because I had seen this and I and like the Matrix came out like a month and a half earlier. And it's like, well, these are amazing. And then I saw Star Wars, and I liked Star Wars, but I was I was more like, well, that was fun. Where, where like, yeah. I was I was enamored with the well, with the Matrix, but also just like, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen like, you know, Errol Flint like swashbuckling movies like this in this kind of realm beyond like Indiana Jones. It was like, there's another kind of this that I have not seen. Like that that intrigued me a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, without picking on Phantom Menace, there was a certain cool irony that it was. You know, somewhat superseded, in, at least in pop culture, by, well, by the, know, Matrix. the Matrix and you know, the Mummy to a certain, to a lesser extent. I don't know, I, um, as far as it wasn't the only, it wasn't the only, uh, yeah, big guy yeah, the, down. The, the Matrix also being the second biggest grossing movie of all time worldwide. Right. So, I feel or, like the first two Star Wars prequels got kneecapped by things. Yeah, we talked about right this. before it because, like, the Matrix in a <clears> technical <throat> fashion, but <throat> the attitude fashion with this movie kind of had. A little bit of, you know, Yancey's going to defend Phantom Menace till the end, but he's admitted that there is a bit of a rustiness to Lucas's direction in that movie. And some of the the line readings are kind of flat in that movie, whereas it could have used a little bit of spark like this has with its fun, with its trio. It's a better acted film. Yeah. Um, You know, know, the acting feels more modern, frankly. and then, yeah, you're right. Attack of the Clones had the bad luck to come out. Spider-Man. After, yep. Well, yes, you know, a month before, or two weeks before Spider-Man, and six months before Lord of the Rings, after Lord of the Rings, which, you know, was was sort of a, hey, look, you know, this can be done even better. And they lucked out with Revenge of the Sith, and Batman Begins came out after. <laughs> so. And by the time Revenge of the Sith came out, you know, Harry Potter was on hiatus. That would be yep. for another six months. Lord of the Rings was done. Matrix was done. Uh and they open against uh, what Longest Yard and uh, oh no Longest Yard Madagascar. and uh, Madagascar opened the week after, but that everybody made their money. I remember yeah. that week I was like everybody made their money. Yeah. Um, and then you had DreamWorks stock taking a tumble because Wall Street analysts that obviously had no idea what they were talking about called Madagascar a devastating disappointment because it didn't open like Shrek Three. Um, well, you had the combined power of Jada Pinkett and David Schwimmer. Exactly. So. Um, I mean, you got Rock and Stiller, too. They're fine, I guess. But, I mean, <laughs> the, the Schwimmer factor, I mean. <laughs> well, they split the Rock, or the, the Chris Rock factor, because he was in the longest yard as well, if I recall. Oh, yeah, he was a popular boy. Um, <laughs> You had him everywhere. You had him in the things that you'd expect Chris Rock to be in, as a zebra and playing football. Yes. To be fair, he didn't play <laughs> football. To be fair, he didn't play football in the movie, but still. Scott and I saw Madagascar a lot uh, in 2005 together. I've seen it once and did not like it and have not seen any of the others because I do not care. 
Um, I, 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 know, I've seen I know, that movie like 20 times. I know three gets all this praise <laughs> and whatnot. I yeah. don't care. I don't want to see these. <laughs> I had no desire after the first one. So we we worked on this. Scott and I worked on the DVD for that, and I, I'd seen it enough. You didn't see anything. <laughs> oh, there's some solid PG-13 gore we just missed. Uh, the game is afoot, as they say. Um. And now she's explaining the, what everybody learns in elementary school about, about how movies. gross it is when you get married. <laughs> and, and, yes. It's weird that how much, like, because I guess we all have that in elementary school, like, ancient Egypt section of our of our classes yeah. where we just automatically know, like, taking things out through the nose and putting them into different, like, jars and whatnot. Like, it's, and, like, what sarcophagus means and all that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, like that has to play into like why this movie like worked right like why it was a hit for a lot of people like it just it's it's tapping into something that you've already kind of learned to a degree that isn't explored very often in film so there's a there's like a mix of familiarity as well as like visualizing the thing that you've learned about in like the the craziest way possible like a lot of the you know universal classic monsters it's a very primal concept oh of course yeah guy gets buried wrapped in toilet paper you know a thousand years later comes back and kills people Here's the gory scene. Oh yeah. Um, like this is like this that's is not fun. Right? Like, this watching is a, a bug crawl through a guy. Oh. Really, because it like the shot where like right here where it's on his chest yeah. and, and it's going up and you're like, where does this stop? Like, what's the what's the end goal in this? What's gonna happen here? Doesn't look bad. <laughs> The neck part that looks pretty good still, but mm-hmm. the face is where it gets a little wonky. <laughs> and then it's in his brain now. I was I was uh, reading somebody or whatever, and they had mentioned uh, like the concept of digital effects was they were beneficial because you could go back and update a film, you know, as the technology improved. But nobody ever has. Mm-hmm. Primarily, like you know, why hasn't like the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones got you know because they're constantly coming to home video. So the and digital effects were meant to be in place to be improved, but no one's ever done it. To be fair, like, they did do a Phantom Menace, though. They yeah. They, they, I mean, they, Yoda. they, they replaced Yoda. <laughs> no, that's true. They did replace Yoda. I, I forgot about and, that. And that's Luke. That's a separate story. But for the most yeah, part, yes. yeah. But other movies should have been doing that. But Nicholas Cage is next, um, but, you know, <laughs> which never looked good anyway. Um, yeah. I remember, you know what's funny is the Egyptian culture thing. You guys remember like the 60s? Well, we don't remember the 60s. We weren't there, but that was like... If you when do remember King... the 60s, you weren't there either, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Tutankhamun, when that you got to, that was like a phenomenon. You had like music, you had I was ask, yeah, everything like... like all over. It was like a big resurgence in that like style. And we, we got one of the greatest Batman villains of all time during that. Um, of course. King Tut. <laughs> He only only rivaled by Egghead. That's what yep. I say. Top two. Top two villains. I can't wait to see their um, Todd Phillips take on him. So. I mean, I I, I was surprised that uh, Snyder didn't get a chance to really cash in with those. I thought that was. Right. Just, I thought that was, I, it, honestly, he I thought was Affle- I thought that I thought that that three. was an Affleck's back pocket really, and they're like, we can't we can do one of them, and he's like, I'm two where I walk, and guess what happened? He's gonna go. Phil- Phillips is gonna go. Um, Coppola with. King Tut and uh, freaking with uh, Egghead when he does those movies, and then he's gonna have the grim, dark, 
uh, universe, and they're kind of come together. With a free, a freak and Fred. I look forward to the big chase of the Batmobile versus Egg Egghead in an Eggmobile of some kind, and he runs up right? the stairs, and then Batman shoots him in the back. Exactly. <laughs> that should be the poster too. Actually, egg, actually, it's gonna be his... Egghead like Shaq because he's gonna use some blue chips <laughs> from it. It's gonna be a mixture. Hmm. It's gonna yeah, be blue Brendan, chips and French Connection. Brendan Fraser shooting a bunch of people again. <laughs> I like that this is a scene where a lot of people die, and then the scene's resolved, and it becomes, oh, actually, we're actually on your side, kind of. We just don't want you to do this thing. Never mind yeah. about the many bodies of our people that you just destroyed yeah. for us. <laughs> Scenes like this look difficult, too, because you have so many horses and extras running around and fire, and you're trying to film, like, with the, the principal actors. Like, this, this stuff doesn't seem easy. This is where Oded Fair doesn't see Rick's uh, tattoo that makes him one of the members of his tribe, right? God, I shall not speak of that. <laughs> I mean, Yancy, I like the sequel just fine, but... Yancy, you like the sequel, don't you? The Mummy Returns? The uh, very I one, like yes. <laughs> I like that one slightly more than this one, yeah. Really? Want to delve into yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I like that one a little bit more. That's um, allowed. It was funny, I, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I don't remember when I, 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 this was back in the era when I would have just rolled out of bed and gone to see it with my best friend and my roommate uh, the day it came out. I was sort of nonplussed by it. We walked out, and I thought it felt like a kind of weak sauce Indiana Jones, and I was such a major Indiana Jones fan at the time that I thought it was a little bit uh, – it was good, but not 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 quite the, the real deal. But then it was like it just kept appearing on DVD in my apartment. Like, we would each buy a copy of it, and it would come back out again, and, and the, we just – That famously sort of classic bargain bin Who's money buying movie. The Mummy this week, guys? Who's, who's got yeah, the well, they came the out with a special week. edition that had, like, three commentary tracks. And it just it just forced itself into our consciousness. We both were kind of not into it when it came out. This is me and my bed. And about two weeks before The Mummy Returns came out, we both sat down and watched The Mummy, the first one. We both really finally liked it. And what was great was we turned to each other and said, this is great. Now we can be excited for the new one. <laughs> and we were, and we saw the new one, and we both really liked it. So, yeah, I, I liked it. I like the, the sequel quite a bit. I, mean, I, I think it's fun. It. Yeah, I think the first 90 minutes are awesome. I think so there the was, yeah, the rock thing is not work. great. But... Well, and then the whole Evie's dead, now she's not. Like, I don't it's, the yeah. That's the kind of thing, though, where, like, it's not on the par of Donner and Superman, but it's like, if I'm believing yeah. Brendan Fraser's outracing the sun, it's like, I guess I'm going to go along with all of this. Because it's like, this, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of... Believability is, it, it, it seemed like a waste of screen time. I suppose, you know, but well, I, mean, I, I, I think it, some... it's, it does some strength and character strengthening. I think, it, I guess it's because Fraser and and Vice sell it so well that yes, I'm like, yes. into like, that journey. My my biggest issue with Mummy Returns is that it it seemed like the most obvious version of what a sequel is, as far as repeating the very skeleton of the same of the first movie, yeah. but doing it because yeah. because every set piece is matched. You can one for one say like this is the scene that's like this one. Like you have a big sand chase thing in this movie. You have a big water chase thing in the next movie. Yeah, like there's so many sure. like compare, sure. like it's a lot of. But you know, that it, movie it, for, for, for me, me at that sorry sorry for me at that time, at fifteen I guess I'm looking at I'm like. 
this is the this is one of the first movies where I can like I can see the screenwriting room and like how we decided to put this together where it felt more assembly driven. That's not a bad thing because the movie still works. It's fun to me, but I just it felt more obvious than I normally noticed. This, you know, the moment returns to me whether I'm right or wrong. My impression is similar to my impression of Scream Two, where when the first one came out, it, no one was really behind it. And they were surprised to like it, but by the second time, but by the time the second one came out, it came out quickly enough that you could feel the sense of excitement in seeing out on opening night, and you could feel it in the movie too. You could feel that the movie was very confident, knowing that it was like liked, and knowing yes. that it was bringing oh. these characters back that we like, and that that really helps a movie like that. It's got a certain confidence and a well, certain when you know that I think takes... coming back to the characters, you've got to be yeah, all yeah. Well, and that's one of the, the secrets of the Marvel Cinematic thing. Universe is that they know people come back to the characters. So even right. if there is a, you know, frankly, even if they make a bad movie, they usually still get decent characters out of it that they can either right. a put in a better sequel or b use them and you know again I think Ant Man is fine, but you know nonetheless you even people that weren't crazy about Ant Man that character is compelling enough that you're happy when he shows up in Civil War. It sure. also it also helps that Civil War does so much good for Paul Rudd that many people yes. just probably didn't see Ant Man and there's a lot more than you'd probably think as far as the requirement to see MCU movies. People yeah. just like same with like Spider Man. It's like yeah, the, so I think one of, Civil one of Civil War's great strengths is the fact that it does such a great job for the three like other ancillary characters that have their own movies: Black Panther, Ant Man, and Spider Man, where you have such a great depiction of them in one shot sequences. That you really don't need their film. It helps that Black Panther's just better than a lot of these, but I mean, yeah. Ant-Man and Spider-Man, they're so like distilled to what makes them tick in that movie that you can really get behind those them as characters, even regardless of like the movies they're involved in. Yes, Ant-Man especially is such a yeah. You don't want to be stuck with just Ant-Man for a movie as good as Paul Rudd is, but when he's part of a superhero movie that's sort of this fun character who sort of the seems the opposite of mighty or whatever he works perfectly you just i feel like when you're stuck alone with just ant-man and ant-man 3 or whatever well, it's it, paul rudd's not like that lead guy like he's the he's paul no, rudd but he's in the, the, yeah he is he's a good looking handsome guy with good comic time he yeah but what are the but what are the movies that are like this is amazing because paul rudd was the lead character in it uh, as good as our, what's the I like the the James L. Brooks movie that nobody likes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, so the giant bomb that nobody likes is your example. How do you know? Is even the lead flop, like, like, with like, like Witherspoon and Wilson in that movie, isn't he? Yeah, I I agree. I like Romals a lot. I like I Love You Man a lot, but they are just good movies where he is good in them. And he's, just, uh, he's essentially a co-lead in those movies. Right? He's, like, yeah. he's always paired with somebody. It's not like, it, you know, Ant-Man is, Paul Rudd is this. Also, there's all, the, all these other people running around. Yeah. I'm not saying against Paul Rudd. I'm just saying, like, if you have to cast I him as the it. guy that has to be both Paul Rudd and be the straight man at the same time, you're not getting the maximum value of Paul Rudd like you do in Civil War. Right, exactly. Why are we talking about this so much? We're on the all, topic. <laughs> he's an audience proxy. It's my fault I brought up Marvel. I was gonna oh I was gonna say a long time ago it's a good thing that Scream Two is also just a better movie than Scream that's the other thing yes. that helps in that film. Well, <laughs> true, but Scream has Scream has the the, the the element of surprise on its side that this had you didn't oh, necessarily sure. know what you were getting. Oh yeah, that's no, why the second one had more of like okay, we know you're here so here's what we're gonna do. It helps that the opening of Scream is an all timer like that's you know yeah. 
Well, so was the ending. So was the reveal at the end. Oh, there's I think a lot of great. Scream thing, two I mean, doesn't come close to. I think Scott said Scream two is the best serial, and I think he's right. I think it's the, one of the best slasher movies ever. But you can't really argue that the ending of Scream two is more satisfying than the ending of the first Scream. Uh, maybe you could, but I mean, if that's sort of a definitively great reveal at the end of the first Scream, then you expect that every time now. Oh yeah, the surprise I mean, with yeah, the endings. There's that lightning in the bottle factor that yeah, obviously yeah. works better for Scream. I just think Scream. If you want to talk about like cobwebs on the director, it feels like Craven was shaking it off for Scream. That's that's my issue. And in Scream too, he's so confident he knows he's got a full packed audience on Friday night for the first time in however many years, and you can just feel it in the way the movie unrolls. Yeah. You know, there's just weird. Like some of the best like the ma- two sequences, sequences in... for God's sakes. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, There's... that like that scene where Ghostface or uh Sydney has to crawl over Ghostface in the police car oh, is one great. of the most yeah. things of all time. Gosh, yeah. We've been trained not to expect stuff that good in sequels already at that point. So to get a really fresh, great sequel is always a is always a is always a uh, I guess was it when was Scream when was Toy Story too? That was another big sort of landmark I mean, sequel I'm, in terms of same year Yeah, as another big sort of satisfying well, we're talking about Mummy Returns, but I guess people disagree with me, but we've been spoiled in modern times where we've gotten a lot of at least pretty good sequels uh, consistently. Like, not like just, oh, well, sequels Well, all there suck. are sequels, it has to be. Well, well yeah, out. but there used to be a day back in the day where, like, just diminishing returns, quality went down. You like know, the it, Sting 2 or Jaws It was 3 rare when you had, you had a sequel yes. conversation of, like, what are the rare sequels that are better than the original or that sure, are really good to stand out. And it used I, to I, be a handful. Now it's, I think what's it's your a, top 100? Well, it's like, a function, I think it's a function of formula, right? Because the first right. ones are these origin stories that you've generally seen already. So the second one allows them to unleash the characters in new, char- new situations that are unique to the characters. So you have things like mostly superhero movies, since that's the most dominant thing, where you get the origin story out of the way and you open up the sequel to do a lot more different stuff that plays with either fan-favorite villains or character dynamics that are interesting to explore. Spider-Man 2, the original Spider-Man 2, yeah. Hellboy 2, Blade 2, Dark Knight. Like, all these movies have, you know, different things they could explore that don't rely on the same basic structure of an origin film. Right. That doesn't always pay off, but I think for the, uh, you know, there's a good reason why, why you're saying this, Brandon, as far as, you know, the kinds of movies that you're getting sequels to. It's because you're seeing a lot of the same first movie just with a different color of paint. And it's so easy to just phone that in because, you know, you're going to get the money anyway. Um, that it's always it's, it's just doubly satisfying to see a, a sequel where they actually went back and tried to think of some new. I mean, James Cameron is the king of this. who have done it twice already. I hope does it again with Avatar, but I, he's I, able to go back and you know, repeat we've, we've, something. We've been, We've been talking about George Miller lately. George Miller might be the king of it because he does tons of sequels and they're all like really good. But think about Cameron. Think about Aliens and Terminator 2. He 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 put he somehow was able to really think of enthralling follow-ups to things that were already enthralling and re- totally re- and totally reimagines them as. Hey, that's why I'm excited about the Avatar sequels. I he, can't imagine he he's reimagined gonna... Mad Max three different times. He reimagined Babe. He, he reimagined did, Happy Feet, of course. Three time, three... Babe 2 is a masterpiece. I, I love George Miller, but I mean, he just sort of did it again and again and topped himself. But, you know, I know what you're he, saying. I'm having a little bit of fun yeah. because Happy Feet 2. But still, I mean, and we can't count and, on George Miller. And there's a different like there's a there's a bigger budget thing involved with camera. We can just do anything he wants to. Well, <laughs> Aliens was a pretty cheap movie. I think 17 million Aliens was the the, I can, Aliens was I'm proving myself because I'm going to, you know, well, Terminator mean, 2 then. I mean, Terminator 2 yeah, was, yeah, was not yeah. just the Terminator. Again. I'm not denying it. I'm not denying it. But he does. I mean, Terminator 2 also had the biggest budget of all time. 
So I'm just saying this is why we all need to pin our hopes on these Avatar movies. He's not going to blow it four times in a row. No way. No way. Not my guy. For an hour in this movie, the mummy just popped up. He just woke up. Yeah. I wonder if that was like in the script too. Like like literally like <laughs> an hour in the mummy will show up. Like I wonder if that was like literally in the treatment. I when be you're making an Indiana honestly. Jones movie, you don't have to show the mummy. Yeah, Indiana Jones is, you know, the, the supernatural stuff's way for the end. You establish that it might be a thing, and then it becomes a thing eventually. This guy, he's the butler and Richie Rich, isn't he? Jonathan Hyde? Oh, that's his name. Yeah, he's, he's the butler in, and Richie Rich. He's in Jumanji. He's in... Uh... Jumanji, yes. The one thing I don't like in Jumanji is him. Is, is he in Peter Pan? Is he in the, the 2003... Peter, let's no, say yes let's just say or, yes. or is that jason isaacs am i thinking jason isaacs jason isaacs is the father and captain hook i think playing both, plays both parts maybe i'm just thinking jumanji because he plays like the father and the hunter which is like peter that's Pan. what it is yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what's what getting is. me that's what's throwing me off this is legit creepy this sequence right here the idea of yeah. losing your glasses being trapped in an egyptian tomb and there's a mummy walking around <laughs> this is actually a good example of what we were whining about earlier when the film came out there were a couple minor, you know, again, this was all friendly nitpicking, the idea that because he took the eyes of a guy that had glasses, that he should also, the mummy should also have trouble seeing. <laughs> and they said there was, I don't know if there's deleted scenes on the DVD or anything, but I remember reading this, that yes, they did have a scene referencing that, but it was unintentionally funny. They cut it just because there shouldn't be anything funny about this character at this point. And they just said, you know what, the movie's going to work, whatever, no one's going to care. Um, and they were right. I mean, it's, it's, I, I remember Stephen Summers has mentioned on at least one or two commentary tracks where, yeah, if a movie works despite a plot hole and the scene that fills in the blank slows the movie, you know, doesn't help the movie, they'll just live with the slight plot hole or whatever. I mean, it's not even a plot hole. It's like, you can chalk that up to like, yeah, magic, whatever. He has eyes. Yeah, exactly. Like, who cares? Like, that's not, yeah. that's, that's I mean, just wanting, that's just wanting to be a dick. Like, that's what that yeah. is. Um, I love that he has a shotgun shooting down, bu- like, bunches of yes. bugs. Yeah. <laughs> Spray. Um, and again, there's a big difference between, ha ha, why didn't the police show up during the Joker's parade at the end of Batman versus this movie's terrible because the police didn't show up at the end of the parade at the end of Burton's Batman. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we've come a long way since that attitude, unfortunately. I mean, you, yeah. try to, you try to jump, get into like a giant crowd like that while the Joker's handing out a bunch of money and be like, Oh, let me arrest these guys right now. It's just difficult to do. And when is, and when, and when has Gotham's police been on the ball with things, guys? Come exactly. on. <laughs> like, it's something that, you know, when I noticed it for the first time, I thought it was There's funny. a Batman because Gotham's oh. police is so terrible. Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. Why didn't the mummy suck this guy's soul out already? Why do you wait? <laughs> like, shouldn't he have got him already? That's my question. Uh, I don't by know. The, by the way. Uh, if you're listening to this commentary track, great. The commentary track with Oded Fair, Arnold Vosloo, and uh, Kevin J. O'Connor is really good. Like, it's a really funny commentary, and they also have, like, a lot of facts about this film. So, you know. So listen to that one, then ours, then Stephen Summers, then Brendan Fraser last, because he didn't say, say that much. He kind of watches the movie a lot. Because he's by himself. That was a bad choice. If you got Brendan Fraser in here with us, we'd be asking a lot of George of the Jungle questions, but it'd be a good commentary track on the garbage. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, coming up, I think, is the most Indiana Jones move that Brendan Fraser does in this movie, where he look, the mummy screams at him, then he screams back at the mummy and shoots him in the face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty perfect. That's almost more of a Han Solo moment, I think. Uh, per, per, I mean... It's a fine I, line, but Han Solo a, does that in Star Wars. Where it's a Venn... In the Venn diagram, it's where all three meet. Let's put it that way. Well, because I think, I think Indiana Jones is probably smarter than Han Solo a little bit. And this yeah. guy is right in between. But it's also like the shoot the guy with the sword moment. It is, but it's, it's more like, why like am I stand, why am I standing here dealing with this thing screaming You know, when he screams at the stormtrooper. Yeah, but it's not start. like he's not screaming out of fear. It's just like, oh, you're going to scream at me? I'm going to scream at you. No, it's like I can momentarily make you think you're afraid if I start screaming at you confidently. But, okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's a I'm just say, enjoying the moment. I got to say, I, I'm watching the 4K Ultra HD of this, and this, I mean, this effect holds up pretty good this seat or this 99 cg not, not according yeah, to yeah uh, i was thinking the not, same thing what? I'm not, not according to oded fair oded fair is like oh the sequel's even better guys this looks okay yeah <laughs> that, that they, they it looks exactly like the rock you can tell it's him <laughs> i don't think you know i'm not despite my lucas fandom i don't think you should fix these things because then eventually there become movies that if you don't if they don't get fixed nobody will watch them and oh, i think yeah. it's probably better if the mummy just has slightly yeah. Goofy effects. Then I mean, to try to. Like that, I mean, that that extends to like, then what's next? Then, because like, what? What? I gotta go back to the fifties to erase like wires in certain movies. Well, no, no you that, wouldn't I mean, want to do that. Do, so therefore, but... those movies just get become they become totally. If movies had to have updated effects, certain movies would just always would end up. Ray yeah. Harry has would be gone, and that would be such a tragedy. Well, I, you know? I'm just talking like, I mean, there's a there's a, a understanding. I, I don't know. There's something with the. I don't. Maybe it's because it's where I grew up, and I'm speaking out my ass. But like the practical effects. There's an appreciation seeing the dated ones somewhat that a computer sure. animation just doesn't hold that. Uh, but I'm not against like cleaning up some wires and stuff sometimes for home video use. Like yeah, I don't know, that's not point. so bothersome because right? you don't notice it uh, when it's well. I don't know why cosmetic that is. You're right. effect, cosmetic fixes. I've never been mad about Star Wars when they fix like the cockpit from being see through. No, or, the, or the weird boxes around. Or the weird box. Yeah. But yeah, it's when you not. overdo it that's I'm like, eh. This, when you, I mean, Star Wars is obviously a perennial. We understand where he was going with that. But, but yeah, but Indiana right, Jones, is, they wipe wires from Hold that on, in the history quick. of home video. This gag right here, <laughs> this gag right here made my dad and I laugh a lot in the theater because he like he tries to cross and then he pulls out every religious item necessary <laughs> on his necklaces. Like, yeah, so my dad was laughing at this. He's like, a Star of David, okay. Like, he just has everything here <laughs> trying to weasel his way out through what he believes in. And that's, I mean, that's a good stuff with the actor, too, I think, as far as, like, the kind of, you know, he's playing a broad personality of some sort of descent, and he, like, has all these languages at his, at his grasp. It's just funny. He, you, like I said, you got to be a good actor to, to pull us off this broad. Like, if, this was, if this was French Stewart, it <laughs> would have burned the theater down. <laughs> it was what? If this was that French Stewart. Oh. Home Alone 3's French Stewart, or 4. Well, you definitely Just want to you had to have a lot of skill to pull off this kind of goofy. Oh, yeah, Kevin J. Connors a good actor, and you'd have to be to play this kind of part. <laughs> if you really seemed daft or, or, or whatever, it would be painful. You know, mentioning how the mummy doesn't appear an hour, it, like, once he's in, he's in. Like, you're seeing a lot of mummy. Yeah. Like, they're not shying away. He's not Jaws. Like, you know, they're, they're not shying away. And his name is Jaws, by the way. That's what I call him. You know, but he's, he's Jaws. <laughs> his name Jaws. Uh, you know, he's not shying away from showing you that mummy. He's not, like, hiding around corners and stuff. I thought you meant James Bond Jaws for some reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jaws where they secretly hide in the shadows as well. 
Well, and that's because we're in Egypt. I know. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of looks like he's wearing jaws up there. And we just yeah, did. Well, he's not enough commentary, so. There's the cat. Now, when you said that he was walking, he does look like Richard Keel, just dressed in jaws. Yep. <laughs> yep. That was why I said that. I instantly regretted it, but I'm glad you noted it. In, in Moonraker, specifically. Yep. Because he's wearing a he's wearing a nice suit. He's wearing a power blue suit. You know, as by your level. Yeah. That's right. But when he when he fights him out in the the van, he's just got suspenders in his white shirt in that. Right. This is some fun like Hepburn Grant type stuff right here with them opening and closing the. Let's not get and... carried away with ourselves. I'm not, here. I'm not saying it's. Like, you can't. Everything I say doesn't mean it matches up entirely. I'm just saying the spirit. <laughs> of, the spirit of this clearly is trying to go for that. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> it is, but real screwball is a little different, a little more sophisticated. Yeah, I it get works. it, okay? Jeez. <laughs> I'm just saying, the energy oh, of the commentary? <laughs> Talk is free. What are you getting mad at me about? Because <laughs> you're yelling at me as if, like, I'm trying to say it's exactly yeah, the same. You, I made some noise before you yelled at me. We're all telling good fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calming myself down to looking at my Baby Yoda yacht bobblehead that's sitting on my desk. <laughs> good. Here's a fun cameo. Feed the machine, there. New Earth. Find those baby Yoda. No, just kidding. Just. I always thought this guy was a bridge too far in terms of how many characters, lovable characters we need in this movie. I I like it, but I like how limited he is. But having Bernard Fox, that's the actor. I like mm-hmm. having having him like just enough to establish like, okay, this guy exists, and then bringing him in just to fly, and then he dies. Like there's there's such a brutal efficiency to his use in this film. Dies with a smile on his face. Well, yeah, he, he died dead. doing what he wanted to. Oh, it's better to be dead in a world where mummies come back from the... That was my logic, anyway, when he smiled. <laughs> Why would you want to be in a world where the mummy's real? Better to be dead. He's also the most, like... like his character is used as, like, practically a meta device, right? Like, when Brendan Fraser goes to see him later on, the way he explains it is, uh, save the girl, save the world. Like, it's just like, I'm, ta- I'm explaining the plot right now, and I'm basically winking at you as far as what we're doing. Like, you've been on this adventure before. You've been in movies like this, right? we got to save the girl, save the world, and all that. It's that winking quality that makes this movie good, I think. I think it's just yeah. the right level of winking, and I don't know if it would be acceptable to today's audiences, because it, it's, it is a li- there, there is a little bit of, hey, I'm telling you a really outrageous story here, and we're going to go for another 20 minutes with a new development. And you kind of appreciate that watching it, what this filmmaker is pulling off. We, I think we nowadays don't, we don't, we don't we, want to be aware of that. We don't know because Stephen Summers, they won't let direct movies anymore, it seems. So we don't know. We don't, we don't know if audiences are not going to accept that these days. Yeah, Odd Thomas was pretty good. I like Odd Thomas, but that's 2013. Like he's, he's yeah, not yesterday as far as something. What'd you say, Scott? It was also straight to scream, streaming, if I remember. Yeah, well, yeah, it didn't go to theaters. Well, Van Helsing got so negatively. I mean, just so. I mean, I don't think it's a terrific, particularly good movie, but man, was that overhated, that movie. Yeah, I think at was, that point it was too late. I watched it recently, like a, a year or two ago, and Aaron and I discussed it. It's like, this movie has its. Like, it knows its stuff. Uh-huh. It has its heart yeah. in the right place. It wants to be fun. Like, I was a bit too hard on it myself when I. Like, because I hadn't seen it since opening weekend and i hated it and then yeah. now i see it i'm like you know what i kind of like this it's not gr- it's not great i mean but that was my that was my um birthday movie that year 
also i think i believe the day before or like after after like i i had my uh, sats so it was a mix of like i'm excited i'm done with this thing and i'm watching what was just a really fun movie to watch with my friends like regardless of the quality of the movie but it's still like i think that's it's a i do think it has its fun elements and i think the people involved are doing their job but it does feel like um summer's going too far with that winking bit i do think he like he has what like kate beckinsale quoting good the bad the ugly at one point in that movie it's like it's going a little far with how much it wants to be in like a tribute to a lot of things at once did he write this did he write the script for this summers yeah he co-wrote it okay yeah He's, so I think by the time Van Helsing, he just ran out of he ran out of ideas for this kind of thing. Oh, screen screenplay by yeah, screen, a story by him and a couple people. But yeah. So he had a take on this that was that he was interested in doing. I don't know whether if you'd asked him on the same day, hey, do you have an idea for a Van Helsing movie? Screenplay it was just by. something he was sort of back then. I still think that there's a certain I don't know what it is. There's a certain algorithm you can put together where if the Tom Cruise mummy had been wildly successful. And the dark universe had spun off into something as big as the MCU. You eventually would have seen Brendan Fraser and Hugh Jackman come back based on some kind of audience goodwill. I guarantee it. Tom Cruise would have been Hugh Jackman's great grandson or something. That was in the DNA of that movie, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, to be fair, Hugh Jackman killed Dr. Jekyll, so <laughs> Van Helsing, so it, uh, it would create a, yeah, a, it would cre- it would create a time rift with Russell Crowe's legendary character portrayal. Up. The Mummy 2, Mummy 3 would have had Brendan Fraser in it mm-hmm. as this character somehow traveling through time. It would have had to. Oh, how could sure. they not? Yeah, the Invisible Man would create some kind of potion to go back in time. That's how. You know. mm-hmm. And Bosley the Uncanny. Remember when they had special effects to like make a mummy and they had Tom Cruise actually in zero-G in a plane and then Russell Crowe's like, I'm going to be Mr. Hyde and all I'm going to do is rip my shirt a bunch and get really angry? <laughs> Those were fun times. Strange movie that was. Yeah. That you and Peter were like, yeah, that was fine. And we were like, you're wrong. I remember us walk, walking out of it with Pete. We were just trying to look on the bright side. I don't know. I don't think it's a miserable disaster. I think there's certain things that are okay. Oh, of course there's certain... It's Tom Cruise. There's always going to be certain things That's that are okay. That's what I'm okay. saying. It's, Tom, it's, just, it's just... I thought the, the direction, direction on that one was just... It was Kurtzman. And he was like, eh, he hasn't directed much, has he? No. It feels like Cruise is doing his best to try to save this thing. Oh, yeah, I think I was on your podcast talking about that. Yeah, you and Pete were, yes. Aaron, I remember going, dude, you need to listen to that one. You'll never believe what Peter and Yancey thought of that movie. (laughs) And I did, and I was shocked. So thank you for the entertainment, Yancey. Wait, Aaron recommended that to you as don't, you can't believe it? No, the the, the podcast episode covering the mummy. Ah, there's worse movies every year. A lot of worse movies. Of course there are. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was still, it was not a joke that someone thought it was, I don't think we said it was great. (laughs) It was still very disappointing. When you're going to give me a Tom Cruise summer blockbuster that involves him versus a mummy, that's disappointing when that's not good. It's a movie. It's two hours that I wasn't miserable at. Yeah, but it's what can I say? Like I should, I I shouldn't have to worry about a Tom Cruise movie being good. Like that seems like a default at this point. I was not so hot on quite a few of the Mr. Impossible movies, so I'm ready. He's he's moved to a different phase for me. Fair enough. And now he's going to space. (laughs) <laughs> he's already there they're just you know timing these stories out guarantee it <laughs> it is funny how leisurely this movie that leisurely this movie is oh it's very like one even when there's that's I, I like that about this like they know there's a mummy after them and they're just like 
I guess we're just hanging in the hotel right now while we figure out what to do. Like, there's such a weird, like, lack of urgency, despite all of these people being in jeopardy and basically the world being under threat by a force that's supernatural that they know exists. That's something that you really have to try hard to pull off, which I think Summers does quite well. Somebody had faith to not just go in and say, cut all those scenes out and get to the mummy. Somebody had faith in this movie, obviously, yeah. for it to be 125 minutes, you know. Hope Summers is a producer on this thing. He had a lot of him. He wrote it. He directed. He produced. It. Like he had a lot of. What control was before here. this for Summers? Was did he, had he had Deep Rising? Deep Rising. Yep. Sorry, he didn't that produce wasn't this. A hit, was it? What? What? Deep Rising wasn't a hit, was it? No, it wasn't a hit. So had he had any hits before this movie? How did Jungle Book do, Scott? Uh, like, not fine, huge, right? But yeah, just fine. it wasn't like a flop. It was just like, oh, we made it. Yeah. I think like Huck Finn was probably his biggest movie, wasn't it? Oh, that's right. He directed Huck Finn a year before that. He directed Huck Finn, and then I found this out, because there's that movie Tom and Huck. That's something he was going to do as a sequel, and then, like, didn't. <laughs> and then they made Tom and oh, Huck wild. anyway. Because he's still, like, a producer on it. Like, he's still, like, an executive producer on Tom and Tom and... So, like, it, it was set in that same universe, but they just recast Elijah Wood with JTT, of course. And... As you do. I like all the plague stuff in this quite a bit in this whole down section where it's like, while the mummy's on resting, let's like show you the plagues if they happened. And see the water to blood, darkness, the locusts and all that. There's a good cowboy coming up here too, where I think he like throws him out the window and then like the stunt man pops out of frame, then the real actor pops back into frame. <laughs> it's always fun to see. Do you already say that liner is like my children, like my children, think of my children. He says, you don't have any children. I might someday. Like, that's what he liked. <laughs> no, the dialogue is very quirky. It's very specific. You know, the humor is very specific. You know, even the, the, the thing that you mentioned about him having every rel- religious el- relic around his neck, that, you know, that that's a specific choice. There it is. He jumps out the window and then he pops back up. That's funny. That's a good <laughs> move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, you're right, Scott. I mean, it comes down to... We should be able to take that stuff for granted, but often it feels like we don't. We, we can't. Well, like now, because you, you can digitally manipulate it so easily, so it's... Yeah. Like, those moments don't feel fresh. Like, even in, like, Extraction with Chris Hemsworth, their part where he, like, jumps over the roof, it just looks like a CG guy jumping over a roof. It doesn't feel like a stuntman, like, replaced him real quickly and jumped over the roof. Yeah. And knowing that didn't hurt the moment in a movie like this, you kind of appreciated the sort of old-fashionedness of the... Yeah. The gag, you know, especially because it's, bl- guess... it's it's blending so well with the effects that are going on. Even if the effects look like they're effects from this time, which they don't. I mean, they they're fine. They're not like phenomenal, but they don't look bad either. Good effects for the, for the era, yeah. Exactly, but they're like you're blending that with this kind of old fashioned sensibility of how to make an adventure film, so it plays. Like that's why King Kong fucking works all the time like it's like a, any of them uh, not the 70s one. They either the 33 or the 05 they play, they, <laughs> 70s they, is good must have done that it's, too it's not it's not about the quality of the movie i'm just saying the, the in terms of the visuals in that movie obviously the you know rick baker in a suit doesn't look as good as uh, as a uh, the the, uh, the right. stop motion effects in 33 or what jackson's doing in 05 no matter how many people complain about the damn dinosaur stampede it's like it fits the tone of the movie <laughs> It definitely does. Those people are wrong anyway. But I'd say Rick Baker's King Kong is pretty impressive in terms of a miniature pull-off effect. 
think he's yeah, good. I think it's on the and like the model work and stuff. It's just like it. There's nothing about that Kong that stands out to me as far as the, it's not magical. But the rest of the movie I like. The actor. There's no. I there's like, no wonder the in it to I me. Like. Yeah. No, there yeah. isn't. There isn't. There isn't. But I think the rest of the movie works. It's the the least of the three. I won't pretend it's not. But I yeah. think. It, Gets unfairly beaten up on. It's Jeff Bridges, Charles Grodin, Jessica Lange, and King Kong. Hey, movie. That's it was appeal. the one they made the ride off of. So hey, yeah, there yeah. you go. It lacks dinosaurs. I like that where he, the scarab crawls into his mouth and he chews on it. That's good. That's... Yum. I don't like jokes in my mummy movies. <laughs> Gags and jokes. I want them dead serious. I also like his means for getting to places. He'll turn into sand and go through a lock and a key. Very, very Bram Stoker's Dracula, a lot of this, I think. The yeah. romantic urgency of him and also the, the different forms. Well, that's what's held over as far as the, the thing these all these 90s ones share, right? There's this romantic angle. Like, that seems like the common theme that links Dracula and Wolf and this. Even in Frankenstein's comparatively very erotic. Ken Branagh Frankenstein has? I don't remember that. He's oh, it's very lusty. <laughs> yeah, he's in love with his own knuckles. He bites his own knuckles like in that movie constantly to show frustration. Kenneth Branagh. Was there a Doctor Jekyll movie? In the yeah, Mary Riley. Mary Riley. That's yes. Right. Sorry, you said it wrong. Mary Riley. It's a that's a dull movie. I like Wolf a lot. Uh, I like Mary Riley. Different. What'd you say? <laughs> you likes Wolf a lot. It helps that they're all like prestigious directors, you know, Mike Nichols and Stephen Frears and. Right. It didn't help. It didn't Neil, help Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. That is awful. But uh, I like that movie. Did you mean I'm ready to see it again? I, I mean, but I'm, <laughs> and, and Coppola, obviously. But what I'm saying, regardless of the quality of the overall film, it's like they certainly, studio certainly, like they tried. They put in like their effort to be like, let's get big stars and you know, Oscar-nominated directors to make these monster movies. Those are an attempt to make an adult. This is more of a retreat, a retreat I think. Yeah. I'm sure there was a mummy version from three or four years before that was like Georgia Romero's mummy script that was more of a remake of the original. This or must it'd have be, been... No, no, it'd be this, you know, it'd be something way... It'd be like Ron Shelton's The Mummy, and it'd be, like, have way more drama. Kevin Costner would be involved, of course. <laughs> the hell is that guy? It was... <laughs> It would be about, you know, a man going through a midlife crisis and goes to Egypt to, like, relax and discovers this thing. And it's more like a – it's like a mummy parasite that's on him and it's dealing with his own life problems at the same time. Apparently I'm writing this movie now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, they, need, they do need to remake it again, don't they? I like how this becomes a zombie movie for, like, half a minute here where everyone's, like, possessed <laughs> by Imhotep all of a sudden. It's like, we don't have enough going on. Let's make everyone followers. Ironically, this is what trolls look like. <laughs> they have pitchforks and fire and everything, and they're just walking down the streets screaming the same thing. Palpatine. <laughs> they're possessed of, like, I guess we open the door by just banging on it a lot? That'll probably open it up. There must, I'm, there, Brandon, do you, there must have been a long production history of them trying to figure out a way to do the mummy again before they arrived at this version. Um, not, I'm not sure. I the only, I mean, it never happened. But there, John Carpenter tried to do the creature from the Black Lagoon in the early right. '90s. Right. Uh, he wind up with a Memoirs of the Invisible Man. Yikes. Uh, Clive, Clive Barker uh, was involved doing something like mm -hmm. this. Joe Dante was involved, which Joe makes, Dante. A of, makes a ton mm -hmm. of sense. 
Uh, Wes Craven was attached at one point. Mick Garris uh, was yeah. almost involved. Why not? What about uh, Tommy Lee Wallace? Was he gonna get get a shot at the? He was uh, done it, with. He was TV. It was, my most it was TV at that TV point. then. Yeah, he it was TV. It was beneath him. Uh, <laughs> uh, George A. Romero was brought on at one point to make this. I movie. thought so. Oh, wow. I thought so. Always happy to write a script. Good old Romero. I love that when John Hanna imitates the zombies for a second. Like, that's such a great moment too. It always works when someone is cow- saves himself with cowardice in a movie like this. You love it. It always works. Relatable. Yeah, of course. Honestly, that's how we'd be. That's what I'd do, exactly. Courage is overrated. The scary mouth thing was a big sell in this movie. Oh, yeah, that was advertised all the time. It was like, that's, you know, when do you see that? Right. Uh, Mark and I, I will say, did an excellent job of straddling the line between this is an adventure movie and this is a scary horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, they, they didn't hide the fact that it was a, a caper, but, you know, the, the tagline was essentially, what was it, um, Prepare, beware, behold. Yeah. Um, and it was basically sold as a PG-13 adventure that had some scary parts. Um, accurately, I would say. Had the mummy, like the mummy bit, had been gone for a while too, right? Like we've yeah. had other, we'd had the other monsters brought beyond the creature, of course, because we famously know that the creature only lives for <laughs> a few movies, apparently, because that's just too hard to crack. But like the mummy had been, like compared to Frankenstein and Dracula and even Invisible Man and even the, the mummy, yeah, the mummy, had mummy the, just kind of like Hammer had done four or five in the fifties and sixties, and then there was the Awakening with Charlton Heston in the early eighties, I think, which was sort of a mummy movie. But yeah, I think it's because the sort of shuffling mummy who strangles you became so passe that it was hard for them to, you know. Well, the, I think part of it was also that the mummy character wasn't as as marquee-ish as Dracula or Frank, the Frankenstein monster, or Dr. Frankenstein for that matter. Um, where it's, he's not as much of a, you know, again, when people, you know, Dracula is Dracula. I the guess. Mummy I think is it's just a weird. silent dude that walks around. Yeah, but the, the mummy's yeah, a popular. The mummy is, is really just ancient Egypt is what the mummy is. Yeah. And what it, they did here was they surrounded it, the mummy with interesting characters. I think it's, I guess it's weird that it's just looking at this movie, not that it's easy to make this, but it just seems like it's so easy to crack this as far as how you make a mummy movie. It's like, yeah, this is what you do. No, I don't think right? so, because you, you would think you had to remake the original, and the original is a, is a, is a, is a creepy, like, love love story from beyond the grave it's not any way an adventure movie which they so some I mean, of that have the fresh thinking and, just go, and neither and the hammer one none of it there's never been a mummy movie before this that was fair enough an that's but that, that that's the genre they attach to this but it still is that basic thing this guy comes back from the dead and wants his wife back like that's what's the third wants his, his yeah but i mean back. i'm sure that the george romero and all the other ones were horror remakes of the original mummy which is really a life after death oh yeah and that was the problem yeah, like bram stoker's dragon I'm, re- I'm reading this now. That was the problem. Like they wanted to keep the budget way down because yeah, yeah, there wasn't like there's no scale that you really need to apply to a mummy movie from their perception at that time. But I mean, not having the mummy be a mummy, a guy wrapped in bandages is is in its own way really bold. You know, having him just be this sort of guy. I mean, you know, that's what the mummy was. Like I said, it was Scooby Doo. It was chasing Scooby Doo around, and and it was it was it wasn't scary. That's for sure. You know, 
the um, Joe Dante version, he wanted to have Daniel Day-Lewis as the mummy, which he would have killed wow. the fuck out of a bandaged-up mummy character. He would have destroyed that. <laughs> Especially if they were doing the Karloff, more like the Karloff movie. He would have himself and gone on a murder spree. Oh, yeah, he would have buried himself alive for a month. <laughs> <laughs> he would have David Blaine this thing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Guys, David Blaine as the mummy. Let's do it. Let's Blummy. I mean, when he was preparing for collateral, Tom Cruise actually killed eight people as a contract killer just to get him a character. True story. He did. I think that you probably he did. He did work as like a package delivery guy who like got in and out of yeah. places with like no fair. Yeah. Like yeah. that's how he trained to be Vincent in that movie. <laughs> that's a commentary we could do. We could do a collateral commentary. That wouldn't be too hard. Good. Good movie. It's two do hours. That. Not hard. Wrap that up. Also, Scream. I was thinking about that earlier. We, we can easily. Yeah, I, I'm surprised we haven't knocked out a Scream commentary. At this wow. <laughs> Let's not do three. Have we done Craven? Have it all? Uh. We've talked about Craven movies. We we we've done, do, we had a a, a, a whole Halloween one dedicated to him. Yeah. But we like sat and talked about Wes Craven's like in a whole movie. We did like we didn't do like The Hills. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Red Eyes about ten minutes long, so that was. Yeah. Right. We could do a double feature, Red Eye and something else, real quick. Deadly Friend. Deadly Friend. Oh, yeah, Deadly Friend. <laughs> That'd be fun. Deadly Blessing's good. I like Deadly Blessing. Deadly Blessing. Uh, you know me. I'm, I'm big on his, his 90s trilogy, or his 80s, 90s trilogy. So yeah. The Rainbow and People Under the Stairs and what shot Shocker! Oh, Serpent and the Rainbow is great. I love oh, that yeah. movie. It's yeah. terrific. Oh, yeah, yeah. Super, yeah. I described that. I watched that I guess it's a while ago at this point, but I was text. I texted Brad and I was like, "This is like watching Bill Pullman as Ash, but taken more seriously." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good, around movie. Yeah. good movie. Here I've never go. seen Shocker. I should watch Shocker because I like uh, People Under the Stairs as well. I'm gonna see Shocker. People Under the Stairs and like Get Out would be a good uh, double feature. I like People Under the oh, Stairs yeah. as well. Shocker, I never saw. I don't know why. Shocker's fun. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> it's long. It's, yeah, it's it's. But Mitch Pileggi, you know, he's doing his thing. It's got some of yep. Craven's best like sets and visuals. Um, oh yeah, because he's he's really swinging for it. Like. But I mean, that was during that time where him and Carpenter got those deals from that company that just let them make whatever film they wanted, and they're like, you you go make whatever, and we'll make sure you have final cut and everything once we get a distributor. Like, and then the distributor ended up being Universal like every time. But um, they got to make just like. Carpenter had what they live and Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness and yeah, unscathed. And then Craven had three, but yeah. What I like about so this is where it happens, where it's like he, he recruits Bernard Fox to fly them, and it's a smash cut to them flying. And it this is such a like mm-hmm. you do not see need this. This scene only exists to have like a bit of action because I guess we didn't get enough in the zombie chase just now. So it's like let's have another action sequence before we get back into the tomb. Let's again. have a big scale CG effect scene to show off our sand stuff. Yeah, it's a trailer moment. Like it's a yeah. big, like to have the mummy open his mouth because the mouth opening as we established is very big on this. Open his mouth in the sand and. Yeah. Sand this stuff. is how our mummy is bigger than previous ones because we can do this. But yeah, that was very but much the big showy killed. You know, fuzzy moment of the pre of the first trailer but it's also the kind of thing where it's like well we could at least have these great actors to be here like have a lot of fun during this ridiculous sequence where Odette Fair and John Hannah are strapped to the plane and <laughs> Brendan Fraser about to like machine gun a sandstorm it's like this is ridiculous but it's really enjoyable 
and I think it's capped off of my favorite part of my favorite line and reading in the movie with Kevin J. O'Connor, who like understatedly says like, that was great with the whole sand wall thing. Yeah. Like, it's just really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the kind of thing where like, you know, most of these kinds of big movies, you don't get the scene of the characters acknowledging how crazy their sequence just was. I was thinking about that with like fast five where it's like, they escape a burning train car that crashes and flings them off of a cliffside and they jump out of their car and land in the water. There's not a scene that follows that. That's like, remember when we just jumped off this giant fucking <laughs> cliff and like survived this huge crash. They're just like, I guess we're still in the plot now. Who cares about that stuff? Let's just keep going. I always thought they should do a sequel to the, the original Poseidon adventure, the set the sequel scene of them sitting around in a psychiatrist's office, just talking about my God, the boat turned over. It was horrifying. We thought we were going to die. That should just be the sequel is the never ending traumatic <laughs> reliving that event of, of having gone through a boat flipping upside down. That's what I escaping. like about some of what like Rogan and his people do. They actually have scenes that comment on the stuff that just happened. Like Pineapple Express ends yeah. with them talking about the giant shootout they were in and like expressing glee at that, which is very funny to me. <laughs> you can do it. The thing is when you got to just keep going. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So you yeah. either have to make it like an epilogue like it is in that movie or just not do it at all, which is a shame because I think there's a lot of fun to have from characters experiencing the thing they experienced on screen. You know, what character does that really well is uh, Sean Connery and Last Crusade to bring up Indiana Jones. Oh, again. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did, you see, yeah. did you see what you just did? Did you look what you just did? You know, it's that's like all of Last Crusade. Like all of Last Crusade's yeah. a comment on the things that Indiana Jones is doing in that movie. That's, yeah. that's what distinguishes it from Raiders. Raiders, he's just like, yeah. like he says, he's making it up as he goes along. Last Crusade's yeah. like, all right, let's have fun with this. Let's comment I on this. I can't believe what you just did. It's <laughs> all the nonsense. That's a terrific movie, yeah. Rachel Weiss, this was her big break, right? She, what had yeah, she been in before this? Chain reaction. chain reaction. Chain reaction. Right there. I love the whole sand wall thing. Like, it's just such a funny reading. <laughs> like, that seems like an on-the-day ad-lib. It's like, just say something after he walks off frame just to, like, give me something in case I need to use it. And they did. Yeah, Rachel Weiss, yeah, she's coming off, what, chain reaction as far as, like, big movies go. But she's doing, like, a lot of smaller stuff at that point, right? Right, and she continued yeah. to wishy-washy through that. I mean, big and small, but oh, this is the like one that of... this is one where it put her on the map, especially in like film geek circles. She was just prestigious enough that it was fun seeing her in a movie like this. Yeah. Um, She's been in the Stealing Beauty, Bernardo Bertolucci movie, as I recall, a few other things like that. Reaction. Yeah. So there he is. Going out with a, with a bang. And they give him they, play this, they play this. They play the sentiment a little too a little too hard. I mean, I think there's a when you have because you have Bernard like it's there's a sort of reverence that like comes with him. Even though I think most people in '99 are like, you know, I can't believe they got Bernard Fox in this movie. I think there's, like, there's still like a established idea of like this guy seems important. <laughs> Perhaps you're right. Look at that shot. <laughs> yeah, the Magnificent Three. Yep. Brendan Fraser, John Hanna, no dead fair. <laughs> With a giant gun. You could put a dead fair in, like, as Yule Brenner in that movie. You could do that. Shave his head. Let him run with it. Specifically as Yule Brenner, not just the lead of a Magnificent Seven movie. 
who ended up doing it? Was it Denzel Washington? Denzel Washington, of course. <laughs> How was that movie? It's fine. Yeah. I th- I think that you have seven actors, right? I think Ethan Hawke actually gives the best performance in that movie because he's like, oh, he's he's come from like I think the he's like a Civil War vet at that point, and he yeah. has like the most like emotional resonance of the cast. Like he's he's bringing something to it, which is a shame because combining him and him again after you know with Anton Fuqua, it's like oh, there's a training day reunion going on here, but it really doesn't add yeah. up to much beyond like oh well they're on screen. Him and like right. Vincent D'Onofrio, who always goes for it, he plays like a big guy who's very wheezy, so he has a very slight voice. Okay. No, Unsurprisingly, it's... to you, Chris Pratt's kind of the worst person in that movie because they don't know what to do with him. Like, is he supposed oh, yeah, to be fu- is he supposed to be funny? Is he supposed to be an action guy? He's like everything in that movie, and it's a shame. <laughs> yeah. As disappointing as that summer was, I think I enjoyed that one more than it deserved, just because it was at the very least good at what it was trying to do. Was it the summer? Wasn't that like October or something? Or September. September. Okay. And after an awful, awful summer, it felt like, oh, this took you long enough to give us a damn summer movie that wasn't... What summer is that? Is that 2016? 2016. Okay, so that's like Independence Day Resurgence. Warcraft, (laughs) uh, Jason Bourne, uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Not the best season. That's a rough one. Is that Civil War? Is that the kickoff? That was, yeah. Uh... Yeah, it was mostly downhill from there. Um, and this is where we start to get into some heavy special effects. Mm-hmm. Right at the end of the movie. But you're in it, because the characters are having fun. Oh, of course, of course. I'm just, and you, know, you, get, you get a variety of minions here. You get, like, these yeah. guys. You get like, actual oh, mummies, like, yeah. Yeah, you get some mummies. And then you get, like, even stronger mummies that come after them. <laughs> yes. I like how everyone was mummified, apparently, and put in this city. <laughs> like, that, was, that was a big part of the ritual, I guess. In case this mummy comes back, we need to have warrior mummies to take them on. <laughs> oh, that mirror setup pays off right here. <laughs> so much ammo he has, too. All these dual revolvers he's constantly wielding. in the corner of Nicholas Cage going, yes, my family will be redeemed at last. <laughs> How big is, like, the treasure hunting genre at this point? Like, is there a lot of treasure hunting movies that you get? Nothing no. At that point. It pop up, yeah, that National Treasure would be the next thing after this, right? It's, Unless yeah, you as far Pirates as... movies, kind of, sort of. And then Fool's Gold like with Matthew McConaughey and, uh, yep. yeah. Sahara. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sahara, yeah. Scott, actually, that was a movie I just kind of passed up, and Scott was like, no, you need to see Sahara, and I was like, okay, and I was like, hey, that was pretty good. That was, is that 05, right? That's 2005? Yeah. That yeah. was, the, I saw that in, like, Constantine and a few other movies where it's like, I saw him, I was at college, and you see him, like, a few weeks early as, like, a preview screening. Yeah. And I, and I was like, I never know, I never knew if I was judging them too harsh or too softly because of, like, the fact that I was seeing them for free and early. Because it was like, <laughs> Constantine, like, did nothing for me. Sahara did nothing for me, but like they have these weird followings where it's like, I guess people like these. I don't, I don't know. I just never really paid, thought another mind about it. Yeah. 
I like Sahara a lot, but it's but, got its moments. I like the didn't it do like rock sound like seventies rock soundtrack for like yeah. all the big moments and stuff. Um, I think okay. honestly, you know, even then I appreciated you know the real stuff work, the you know actual location work, blah 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 blah. The stuff that even then felt mm-hmm. like it was becoming an endangered species. Exactly, that's what turned me on to that movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Didn't it cost like a hundred and seventy five? Oh yeah, it cost hundred like oh, things that made it impressive to me were the things that made it commercially suicide um, and matthew mcconaughey kind of roadshowed it for uh yeah. the promotion too so he sold the hell out of it i was surprised it didn't show him like ucsb <laughs> to show Sahara. <laughs> I, I mean you mentioning pirate like pirates i think is interesting because it's not a treasure movie right like you you would you would expect it to be because it's about pirates but it's really Anything but like treasures, like at default. They're looking for a MacGuffin, but it's usually not just to get rich. Yeah, it's not Treasure Island. Yeah, which was I again, I think that was for the time that was surprising that like the plot consisted of something more elaborate, far too elaborate. It's way too convoluted for. I think those pirates are still treasure treasure movies. I think that there was a huge, huge, huge thirst. This is Indiana Jones is in the same place that Star Wars still was at this point, where people really wanted more of it, and there just hadn't been any. So this was really the closest thing in a long time. I can't think of a movie in this genre between Last Crusade and this. The sort of co- comic adventure fantasy. I mean, there just there hadn't been that many. Like Cutthroat Island and that kind of thing, I guess, had sort of Cutthroat ended. Island's a treasure one. Yeah, that, yeah that was, so that, that's a higher movie. That is treasure. That is all yeah. that. That's all that maps. Right, but so Pirates of the Caribbean is too in that it's, it, it, you know, it's... No, but the exactly. end goal isn't I. The end goal isn't I want to be richer. It's I want my life back or whatever. Like yeah. these movies are actually about finding treasure. Did you not see Last Crusade? You got to let go of that stuff. I didn't say Last Crusade was. <laughs> I'm just saying that. The, I'm just saying in between those ten years, there weren't a lot of these movies, and that's I think why this was so well received because people really wanted a new Indiana Jones movie. Yancy. Yes. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> You can't even remind me of that movie when I'm watching. In the original cut, he dies here. Yeah, he does. Fair, right? They kill him off. This was his off-screen death. Yeah. Why waste them? Because he goes out like a like a champ if you put him out here, or he could just bring him back because he's really fun to watch on screen. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know they obviously. He's he's a straightforward dashing hero as opposed to Fraser, who is more of a Jack Burton, right? Yeah. Yeah. And And he just—I mean, if you the second film. And you, you test screen this thing, and you're like, this guy's, you know, he's popping. Like, people like him. <laughs> like, what are you doing? He shows up in the second one. It's a pleasing return, right? Doesn't he have more yeah. guns in his trunk, and they all kind of smile about it? Oh, yeah. He he's, a co- he's, he's basically co-lead in that movie. Like, yeah. he's in yeah. a, he fights the big, stupid battle at the end with the rock, with all the other, the, the yeah. army that the Scorpion King leads. Yeah. Right. He, like, That's nearly right. dies. Right. Like, he fights off all these sand creatures and everything, and then, like, a bunch charge at him. And you're like, what is he going to die? What after this? Uh, Resident Evil, the two Resident, yeah, Resident Evil Apocalypse uh, and and uh, Extinction, and then there's other things, but they're like not as notable. But that was those were his big plays. He's been working yeah. consistently. Yeah, he works it, but he's just not, you know. You, you, there, there's no movie that says "Oh, Dead Fair" in the titles yeah. like The Mummy Returns. I, I remember when The Mummy Returns came out. I was naive enough to think that he might actually his character might actually get a spinoff. <laughs> and not uh, The Rock as the Scorpion King. Yeah. The character who's named in the trailer for the movie. Oh, you know, why not both? Um, has there has there been a movie where like you knew there was going to be a spinoff just by the trailer announcing a character in the movie? 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is, but I'd have to think about it. But obviously, like, aside from that yes. Civil War. Um, That's Spider-Man Civil War, yeah. Yeah, be, be obviously beyond those movies. Yeah, but like, yeah. Look, look, but um, just looking at, but just thinking of the Mummy Returns and the marketing for that, it's like there never seems to be a more movie that's pronounced the arrival of a new star and character in a pre-packaged movie than and the Rock as the Scorpion King. Yeah, no, no, yeah, because they right. never they never expected you to. They, they used to wait until the the movie was a success to do it. Before, yes, this, this yeah, year they started to decide beforehand. There's always going to be a reward. Real, real. Well, quick. you know what's all, funny? Real, 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 real quick. All this stuff that Brendan Fraser's doing, they just said go and swing the sword around and like attack things, and we'll put it in yeah. later. So all this exactly. stuff, is, there's, there's no choreography here. But it's he just looks doing comfortable. Stuff that looks you know? fun. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. <laughs> uh, I, I will say, you know, it's funny, and their intention clearly is to set up The Rock as the as the spinoff as the Scorpion King. Yeah. But back in the day, like the throwback, those old trailers used to announce actors as those roles, as if we were, you know, supposed to know what the and they were common names too. It wasn't like as the Scorpion King. It was like, you know, Louis Louis Wilson as Dan Roberts. Uh, cool with the, <laughs> you know, you know what's kind of like the Scorpion you know? King. Is Jinx in the Dead Die Another Day, right? Yeah, no, yeah, that's what yeah, I was thinking. That's yeah, one, yeah, that's actually that was that was the the key one I could think of. Is and even Around then the same that was time. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, he's in all the. I mean, oh, did fair. He's in the other Resident Evil. He's in like the last one and the one before that. So. Oh yeah, great. they bring him back. They they got him on speed dial. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I don't care, so I didn't see the the last couple because they just. He's Carlos from the game. Yeah, yeah, here's the warrior mummies, the, the, the even stronger mummies. <laughs> the super power droids. Yeah, the, like the, super you, had, droids. you had the Goombas, here are the Koopas. Yes. <laughs> here, are the shy, here are the shy guys tossing hammers at you, or whatever. I do like, you know, Fraser's the hero here, but I like how collaborative all of this is. Like, there's so much... You know, like you need to read the thing to get the thing going. I mean, right? we were talking about like who's off. the lead, but it's a true trio, at least in this movie. And you know, a lot of the next, but it's a, it, that's why it brings it all back in the next movie. It's it's almost a whole movie of Han, Leia, and Luke in the Death Star escaping. That's a fair way to put it. That's probably very much intentionally what it is. Yeah. You know, See, they, the, okay, so there's the reverse there, where like they scream at him, which is <laughs> funny. I mean, this the stuff, the shadowing on it, the way, I mean, it looks pretty good. I always remember going back to this movie, every time I go back to it, I'm like, oh, the effects are kind of noticeable, but then I'm looking, I'm like, you know what? For the most part, not so bad. Well, because you have, like, you know, this isn't Atlanta. I don't, like, keep using that as the example, but it's like, this feels like they built big sets on the Universal lot, and they went places. Right. And they, like, they have this combination of things. You know, Brendan Fraser's wearing like clothes and not some CG suit that came on afterwards. Like, it's just all all this stuff makes mm-hmm. it like you know, it has well, it's, a, it's tactile. Right. <laughs> I'm Still a weirdo. I think people would appreciate if they had the chance. I, I'm a weirdo. I have a fondness for like sets when I watch movies, even if it's me like too. that's a me set. Too. Like, I love the gives me some sort of imagination or somebody's having a ball with building an elaborate yeah, thing. Right. Like, and as opposed to you know the green screen stuff. Like, and even if yeah, it's obvious. I just I enjoy sets. I enjoy well, looking at details. And... It's similar to the old yeah. special effects. You get enjoyment out of thinking how they put that together. Right. Why does CG not have that appeal? It's funny. What is it about CG that doesn't have that appeal? Of... Well, I don't think it's CG. I think it's the I think it's directorial use of it. Like it's just like how they're choosing to 
you know, added onto certain scenes. And I think some movies do get it right and a lot get it wrong, including some of the Marvel movies where it just doesn't feel unique to see Iron Man press a button and have a Tony Stark suit or have a suit on all of a sudden. It's just right. like, all right, he has a thing. I think going, we also just naturally think computers are it's easy. You just press a button and it's animated. I think this there's song, a lot sure, of work but, that goes into that computer. But, I will. I oh, always course, preface that, course, but to course. me, just tangibly, like, I don't know. But like, I mean, like, I think Raimi is a guy that gets it. He knows how to use CG well in his movies for the mo- even if it's not like that's my issue with Spider-Man. I think the CG is just not up to snuff of how to do that. That's why two succeeds for me as far as on a visual level. But like, yeah, he, I think he's. But I still think the tone he uses his effects in really work well to the advantage of the movie's combination of having these effects with, you know, his you know Raimiism. Mm-hmm. This movie is definitely a little bit schlocky on purpose, and it works, and that covers all the bases. Because it's a know? mummy movie. <laughs> it's like, yep. you know... Well, but like we're saying, Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolf were not schlocky. They were sophisticated yeah, those... adult entertainments or whatever. Sure, is... but I mean, you have Stephen Sommers versus Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> like, it's... Sure, it's... sure. No, I like it, but schlock is good when it's done right, and sure. that's what this is. But schlock allows for rough edges, I think. Like I agree, but I, and I, but I also think, like, and I'm not saying Dracula doesn't lend itself to this, but something like Dracula, there's an inherent tragicness to that character versus like mm-hmm. the mummy, where I feel like this swashbuckling approach is pretty appropriate. Yeah, if you go well, back I mean... and watch the Karloff mummy, it's it's almost a direct remake of Dracula, slightly more effective because Karloff's a bit better of an actor than Lugosi, but it's definitely yeah. the same idea of dark passion beyond death and a mixture of the idea of being dead and sex that sold in that pre-code era really well. I, you know, this right. is just a totally That's different okay. movie. Yeah. Anyway, we're saying, I mean, everybody seems to be on some metaphor, like some same page and looks to have done their homework before coming to the movie. Like it's just, it's kind of magical. The cast works, the direct, I mean, they mesh with the director, they mesh with each other. It yeah. just, they all knew what they were going for. There's no one that really this, stands yeah, out as not. Throughout this movie, everybody also in terms of summers being, getting credit for directing i gotta say this is a movie where the the people reacting to things that they weren't seeing on set are pretty strong throughout yeah like, and that's purely got to be just direction like right i always feel like they're looking at the things that aren't there and it's, and it's you know it's it's, a, it's that, impressive that brief moment where they make brendan fraser's face blue because he's being strangled by, mm-hmm. by it's like such a that's such a goofy idea for a scene like you might, you might as well have like goofy sound effects on top of that but it's like it's probably a studio movie, note it was probably thing. a studio note it's a weird one it's like we yeah. need to show that he's being strangled i know make his face blue this, what <laughs> this is one this is one hacky thing that that distinguishes this and makes it not the same to me as an indiana jones this movie falls into the trap of the cliche of the incredibly powerful villain has the hero in his clutches, and instead of killing him, he throws him across the room and then goes about his business again, allowing the the hero to think of a better way to dispatch him. Yeah, I always thought that was that was a lazy thing to do to have like he's a hundred times more powerful than Brendan Fraser when he's got him in his hands, he throws him across the room alive, which is just a lazy bit of screenwriting, I guess. The second it, one has more fun with that, I think, because it it, yeah, it, it it increases the stakes basically, but I think it actually is necessary. But you wouldn't as... see that in Indiana Jones. They would figure a better way of. Anaxuna Moon. <laughs> Stuff with him in the treasure. <laughs> I know we're not talking about the moment. We're not watching the movie returns, but man, that moment when he, the last moment Vaslu has in the movie returns is very well played. Oh, when yeah. you realize it's that the love between 
that's a really crowning moment for Fosley was an actor. It is. All right. It's great. It's she such likes heartbreak. you more than Anaxuna Moon likes me. This sucks. Like, well, it's really like, Those are the things like, I can defend in that movie as far as how that ending goes. Because, yes, it's an orgy of special effects. But it's still based in the characters and, like, what they what you know about them. And you have yeah. Evie and Rick who are together to the end as, like, the world is crumbling around. The, you just dropped the book. Just like Alice and Duty in Last Crusade. Uh, <laughs> but versus Arnold Vazo and Patricia Velasquez, who like, just runs away. And he just has this defeated look on his face and jumps into the thing. It's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. This is the kind of movie, if they could manage to do one of these every Saturday, every Friday night, movies would be popular forever in the theater because it's it just is such a satisfying well, thing. And While this film is very good, I think there is an issue that one of the reasons it was as popular is because it was still, you know, not every movie was trying to be this, you know, over under $100 million franchise starter, action-adventure right. fantasy picture. Mm-hmm. But the issue you have now is that you know, this is now the template for the modern blockbuster, more or less. You know, obviously, it's more of a focus on superhero mythologies now. That's a, um, that's a good Rick moment, by the way, too. He still tries to save yeah. Benny. Like even, like, even if he puts it off of a bit of a quip there where he says goodbye. But he's still like, you know, this guy's done everything wrong. I'm still going to try to save him if I can. Like, yeah. That's such a... And he gets it's his comeuppance, and moment. that's earned and everything. But it's a good... Yeah, it's very, it's very much... He's a hero. That's why. <laughs> Sorry, Scott, you were talking. I mean, no, no, I, I, my usual ramblings. Well, you're right. You're, you're not wrong, obviously. I mean, it's, yeah, every movie's like this as far as you get these all the time as far as. But you don't. This movie's get, really genuinely no, fun. No, but you get, you get, you get the, the, the ideas of a studio thinking, okay, here's an IP, put an adventure on it. We could sell it in the summer, make it work. And you get one of those, you know, every two weeks, every one week, you know, between May and September. And they're less special. It doesn't help that, yes, not all of them are made as well or have lesser people involved or the IP isn't that particularly interesting or any number of things. But there are a lot more of this kind of thing than there's not back in 99. Well, I mean, back in 99, this is a major IP IP reinvention that they pulled off. That's the proof of it is that the Tom Cruise one felt like it had to be a remake of this. Right. Which is interesting. Well, well that's, my prob- that's my problem with the Tom Cruise one. It's just kind of boring because it's doing yeah. like a stale version of this thing or something like right. Amazing Spider-Man where, sure, you, like the, it's casted well, but it just it's just blue beam in a sky superhero movie. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, and back when the this Mummy This has came- a funky sense of humor that works. The Mummy didn't. The, the, I mean, the, the Cruise movie yeah. didn't because Cruise is Cruise. Cruise can't be a buffoon like Brandon Fraser can. And that he, undercuts he, he, having to take it too seriously, and then audiences go for it with the Tom Cruise when they're trying to take it too seriously. He's like Willis, where it's like, as far as humor goes, as far as like, as long as I'm the one making fun of myself, that's fine. But if anyone else makes fun of me, no thank you. Like, that's the kind <laughs> of thing that happens with him. This was, what was this, early May when this came out? Yeah, kickoff. Yes, kickoff first movie. weekend in May. But that was that in '99. That was still early for summer, wasn't it? May 25th yeah, had been. It was sort just of... starting to be. Uh, the Twister was first month or first or second weekend in May, 1996. Yeah. Deep Impact Deep in '98. '97 uh, was a weird summer just because it didn't have it. There were a couple small scale. Well, the Fifth Element, I guess, by default was the first kickoff, unless you want to count Austin Powers and Breakdown a weekend week before. Um, but yeah, by '96. It was expected the summer would start in the first or second weekend of May. Um, so yeah, this film. You know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but you know, back then everyone was like, "Oh, it's gonna do twenty, it's gonna do twenty. It's like, fuck that. 
then do 40. Why? Because Deep Impact did 40, and uh, Twister did 40. And people are excited for Star Wars. It's going to yeah. be people want to see Star Wars. So they, I yeah. forgot that Austin Powers and Breakdown were the first weekend of May in 97. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy, right? Because, like, I guess Fifth Element would have been, well, like, the kickoff really movie at Breakdown isn't really even a point. traditional summer. Breakdown could have come out any time. Yeah, and that's why I'm surprised. So, I didn't, re- I didn't yeah. realize Breakdown was May. I could, I would have told, like, if you had to t- ask me when I thought Breakdown came out, I'd be like, I'd like, March or October. That's like, because I think <laughs> at that point, early May was not still only considered to be already summer week. It was still, you were still, yeah. you were still doing modest movies in early May. But, like, like Fifth Element seems like the big, like, you know, it's yeah, a big budget sci-fi adventure. Yeah. And also, Again, like, I think everybody knew that Lost World was going to be such a monster that kind of kept their distance. And, that, and that's yeah. that Memorial Day thing. Like, like Crimson yes. Tide is another one of those. Like, you know, you just put it... Yeah, that was the weekend there. before... That was the week before Memorial Day, and then Die Hard 2 was Memorial. No, wait. Shit, I'm wrong. It was... Crimson Tide was the kickoff Crimson. the second weekend of May. That's yeah. when French Kiss, which they did, whatever. And then Die Hard, and then over Memorial Day weekend was Casper and Braveheart and Johnny Demonic classics well, and Matt Lush. we've done a commentary for one of those yep. it's not Braveheart or Casper yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good commentary that was fun yeah. thank you fun times guys good score too we did, I mean we're talking over this movie but Jerry Goldsmith like one of his final scores if I'm not mistaken right yeah if not his final score what is his final when did he die he died 2004 but I don't think he was working too much in that late run there and then Alvin Silvestri comes in for the second one and I believe, and the I think a lot uh, was it live live there the, they do like the closing credit song in the uh, second movie and when it returns live the, the that live. band really that band wow. yeah I gotta find this what's Jerry Goldsmith's last score Vosluvian Hollow, Canny Hollow Man Along Came a Spider Last Castle okay he was still working <laughs> yeah <laughs> Looney Tunes back in action final score for Jerry Goldsmith oh wow. Good one starring, on. Brendan Fraser. starring Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser, yeah. <laughs> Shot by Dean Cundy, Brandon. Oh yeah. Oh, is it really? That's yeah. Dean Cundy. Yeah, cool. A guy nobody that, that hires tracks. anymore. Who knows why? I don't he's, know. He's, why don't they? He's, he's a great cinematographer. Why don't he they is. Hire him? He's, he's shot always, like the big ones because he has no time. Because Shout Factory, because Shout yeah. Factory keeps asking him to do interviews all the time. So he has That's no time to shoot any movies. That's true. It's like no, I got to talk about some fucking thing I did in the seventies again with. John He's almost as much the author of those movies as Carpenter is. I know, like he—he's the like. See, people have coined him as uh, the man who shot my childhood because of all the like things he did in the '80s, and he did, you know, Back to the Future, Jurassic yeah. Park. Like he's yeah, Garfield. You know, he's—he's he's ever he Indiana like, Jones too. Did he do? No, that's no, he didn't. No, that's no. that's um. um Devin... I always have this. Um... Douglas Slocum. Douglas Slocum. Who was very old, but but uh, he did. Uh, Cundy did Roger Rabbit, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's I mean, a major he's, achievement. That's a major cinematography job right there. My goodness. Like he's just. I mean, he learned. I mean, his thing is he learned to never say no to a job. So you'll see weird ones on there. I mean, man shot roller boogie. I mean, hey, but uh, it's challenging. It's just odd. He just faded away. Like it's crazy. His most recent film, Home Again, with Reese mm-hmm. Witherspoon. Yeah, interesting. All right. Also, Jack and Jill. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Hey, like I said, he doesn't say no. He probably just wanted to work with Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> I shot Pacino, man. He's missed all his opportunities. <laughs> this is it. 
You get shouts, Dean Cundy. That means only... that, So when you see the the clip of Al Pacino in that Dunkin' Donuts commercial, that was shot by Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy. <laughs> These credits are fun with the hieroglyphics around. Leslie Schatz on who? <laughs> <laughs> it worked for me. There you go. Thank you, Nancy. Sure. <laughs> so what this money? What this movie makes, Scott? Like four hundred million. Uh, yes, it did. It opened with 43 million domestic, led down to about 155. And I think it did 410, but let me double check. 415, I'm seeing now, yeah. Awesome. Close enough. Yes, 155 domestic, 415, 416, if you want to round up, on a mere $80 million budget. And then the sequel only cost about, I think, $90 million, if I recall. Oh, so they got more expensive. And I remember that was a big. Like that made 200 domestic, which was like at the time yeah. that's still huge. That almost broke the opening weekend record. It opened in May of 2001 with 69 million dollars. Excuse me, 68 million dollars, which at the time was second only to the Lost World. Um, and then Planet of the Apes and Rush Hour both made 66, 68, 69. Um, you know, we just missed it. And then Harry Potter came around with 90 million at the end of the year. Um. Yeah, The Mummy Returns on a $98 million budget did 202 domestic and 443 worldwide. Uh, the third one did only $100 million domestic, but it did about a 405 worldwide. Because you got that China money. You got that Jet Li money bit, coming not in. As much as you can see, not as much as normal today. You got that international appeal, I guess, yeah, with, yeah. With, with Jet Li. Um, but it cost 145 so um, that was the Fun end for- and no fact, one fun fact about that third one before they went for the terracotta soldiers they were going to go aztec and have antonio banderas as the villain in the mummy i would have been interesting well no disrespect for Jet Li, but that would have been interesting yes it would have well it, it, the difference is antonio banderas probably would have wanted to be there where like <laughs> when, when Jet Li seems disinterested in something it very much shows on screen i think that's well, for this kind of a role a banderas is a big step up all respect to to, to that's a great idea yeah yeah because because yeah. he would have fun no matter what with it yeah like, i don't think Jet Li smolders no matter how he tries i think yeah he's banderas not that kind smolders. of actor i think like, i mean no. the, the idea in the third one and and the type of settings they're going for some new kind of explorer territories interesting it just you know Oh, it's, execution. It it's all execution. It's execution. The yeah, that's the problem. Mr. Rob Cohen. Yeah. yeah. Like, I like taking them to the snowy mountains and a lot of the villages stuff, but it just, yeah. ILM did their job on this movie, and they, they had a busy summer, if I'm not mistaken, as far as yes. they're working on between this yep. and Star Wars, among other things. Um, but I, you know, I always, like, just the way, like, the mummies are animated, and you have, like, Brendan Fraser running around, and they're, like, yeah. I have to think it has to be fun doing stuff like that, like finding clever ways to throw mummies into environments like that. Yeah. Well, that's probably the best job in the world. What else? As we wrap this thing up here. Let's see. Yeah, Summers went on from this to Returns, and then he he pulled a Sorcerer's Apprentice and made Van Helsing. There you go. Instead of a guaranteed third movie hit. Any reason you think behind that, or he's just like, nah, let me, let me see how, let me, let me try the well, other. Well, he, he he went and looked, and he saw, okay, so you do um, Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, and then you do War of the Roses, so that's just War <laughs> of the Roses. Okay. Naturally, yeah, okay. Then he does GI Joe, and Odd Thomas, and then he falls off and doesn't do anything anymore, and it's a shame. <laughs> I think there'd be some fun stuff to come out. 
Like, whereas you give him an MCU movie, he can knock one of these out. I mean, he's a guy who can surely he can easily handle scale better than a lot. Some of these like indie people, they just jump right to it. Um, handy, but yeah. well, I guess we got to decide which Scorpion King sequel to do for our next commentary track. But uh, this about wraps it up here. So, uh, where can people find more of your guys' work online? Start with Brandon. Oh, you can find me on whiteofblue.com, writing Blu-ray reviews when they when they're here, and I can I can do them. Uh, Cultsofmacabocade.com, uh, which we're on pause right now because you know during our times here it's it's a bit difficult to get uh, a lot of recording stuff done. So, uh, but it'll return at some point when uh, you know uh, I'm not a teacher and I'm not a <laughs> working from home and on a computer all the time. So it'll be back but enjoy what we have there we just did like freaking 15 godzilla episodes in a month and a half so i think we've got plenty for this year so far yancy burns yancy burns who knows when yancy burns will strike next uh <laughs> it's just baby uh baby tending and day jobbing at the moment but uh always thinking always thinking scott mendelson uh still at forbes trying to fake it till the theaters open again <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, doing a fine job of it. Hey, you could t- take in drive drive-in numbers; those are opening <laughs> back up. It might come I, to that. I think we did a great job. Of, we did a great job of not time stamping this commentary until just now, as we right. mentioned the fact that we're still plagued by staying at home and all this. So you can't call um, it drive-in totals because that's uh, Joe Bob has that copyrighted. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yep, Forbes as usual. You can find me on my personal blog, thecozies.com. Everything I do ends up over there. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Um, you can find this podcast everywhere you can find podcasts on iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, and all that. Um, I'm still hoping that Brandon does a Naptown nerd retrospective on Scorpion King, Scorpion King 2, Rise of a Warrior, Scorpion King 3, Battle for Redemption, Scorpion King 4, Quest for Power, and Scorpion King, Cole, and Book of Souls. But until then... <laughs> Scott, Scott will tell you to get in line. <laughs> behind Net Lane before time? Yeah. Yes. Um, but, uh, Watch it with your children. With with all of that said, thank you, Scott, Brandon, and Yancey, for joining me for this commentary track. Always a pleasure. That's great. Thank you. For wonderful time. Thanks, guys. And until next time, that's going to do it. So until then, so long and goodbye. Goodbye.